Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hi everyone, welcome to the Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And this week, we're both feeling logy because we just had lunch. It's a lovely Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. It's a little overcast, but it's not, not a bad day out. No, no, it's it's cool, but the weather is fine. Yes, fall is upon us and we're not getting... Uh, we didn't really get a nice Indian summer this year, which we normally get kind of a, a long... Oh, a long, warm, hot September. Kind yeah. of a warm ending to the summer. We just yeah. got... It, it got said, cold it got, real it was, fast. That's right. It was real hot, real dry for a long time, and then it just like... Turned on a dime and became cold and wet. Mm-hmm. Marked by a, a big thunder and lightning storm. Oh, yes. Very big. Yes. Yeah, scary. Scarily yes. close. To yes. Fall. It felt like, well, I did feel like it was right above our house, actually, because I think when I did the uh, count to try to figure out how far away it is, it was less than a mile. Yeah. And I think it got to you first, then it came out to me mm-hmm. about an hour away. Yeah. And yeah, it was the same for us where, yeah, I counted. It was like... What is it? You see the lightning and then you count. And it was yeah. like one second until the thunder. Yeah. Or like less. Yeah. One was, second yeah, until just, the thunder. Yeah. It just seemed uh, like it was right over top of us, really loud. And mm-hmm. it even bothered the dogs, which they're not normally uh, concerned by the oh, really? thunder and lightning or fireworks or anything. But they they thought that was uh, too much. Scout didn't mind it. Hmm. Yeah. Because she wasn't getting wet. <laughs> yeah. She did come out with us a little bit. She was standing between us. She wasn't venturing out into the rain. She usually doesn't. Yeah. But she wasn't cowering, <laughs> which I figured she might do because she's kind of a coward. <laughs> huh. So hence the name, hence the word cower and coward. Yes. It was purposeful. Interesting. Thanks for But they're spelt wrong. Spelt differently from each other. Yes. Just to confuse this all. English language. Thanks. Well, everyone, I'm going to assume by this episode, which is episode 25, Mary, 25 Woo! episodes. High five. Nice. We've been... Uh, been going back in time into my recent past and unearthing mixtapes that I made for Sneaky Dragon listeners. And this week we are have ventured upon uh, a listener, a listener from Australia named Dylan O'Connell. Hi, Dylan. I don't know if you listen to the show, but I uh, hope you do. So you can hear us talk about your mixtapes, which were two. And this tape, this mixtape was a response to Dylan sending me a mixtape of Australian music that he liked. And Dylan and I to be honest, we don't really share similar musical DNA. Like he was very fond of 80s, mm. Australian 80s kind of synth pop, which is not a kind of music that I naturally um, am drawn to. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit of a a bit of a problem for me. But, you know, I listened to it. I listened to it a couple of times and I really appreciate the effort he put into it and uh, the attempt to do a cross-cultural exchange. But, you know, if he'd put some easy beats on there or some, uh, you know, some other bands from the 60s and 70s uh, Australia, like uh, we've played, we have played um, Daddy Cool, who are an Australian band mm-hmm. yes. as part of this. You know, so those are some Australian bands that I know. There's other ones as well, like uh, the Triffids and a band that I like a lot, the Go-Betweens and, of course, ACDC. But, Wait, um, ACDC is Australian? ACDC is an Australian band, yeah. They came out of the Australian pub rock or hard rock scene that hmm. uh, was kind of a big part of the 70s in Australia. In fact, ACDC was basically the, the I don't know what do you, what do you call it, the stepchild? No, the child of the Australian band The Easy Beats, who had a big hit with a song called Friday on My Mind, which you may know. Mm-hmm, I've heard that one. Yeah, well, the, the two of the guys in that band, uh, 
Henry, uh, I think it's George Vanda and Henry Young. I might be getting their, their, their first names mixed up there, but uh, the Young in that band was the older brother of Malcolm and Angus Young from ACDC. So when ACDC started, they were able to draw from the horrible experiences that her, their older brother had had in the Easy Beats where, you know, they signed away their publishing and they, they get paid and all the other problems that lots of bands in the 60s went through because no one knew what was to do or what was happening. So when some fast-talking Sven Gali approached you and said he can make you wealthy, you believed him and you signed on the dotted line. And next thing you know, you'd given up your publishing and all your rights to your name of your band and your songs and all the rest of your mechanical royalties went out the window. So uh, luckily for ACDC, they had their older brother who... A, mentored them, produced their early music, but also helped them in terms of their, um, in terms of their uh, song publishing and stuff like that, that they were able to keep a lot of control of their music. And uh, that's a very good thing. It's kind of like the story of Steve Vai, who uh, befriended Frank Zappa when he was a teenager. And he asked for Frank Zappa's advice. And Frank Zappa said, the first thing I want you to do is set up your own publishing company. Hmm. And he actually drove him to his lawyer. To, Zappa drove Vai to his lawyer and uh, got his lawyer to set up uh, a, a publishing company for Vi and Vi said that was uh, a, uh, a uh, what could you say, like a, a thank you that you, or a thing that you could not calculate in terms of value because right. an invaluable piece of advice because mm-hmm. it, you know, to control your own publishing is to control your, your, for, your future and fortune as a, as a song, songwriter, which so few writers knew in the, in the 60s. But anyway... This is not what we're talking about. I've gone way off topic, but uh, as, as such is my way. Uh, yeah, really? Yeah, I know. To- so my response to Dylan with his uh, wonderful Australian mix of songs was to uh, return the favor with a mix of, of Canadian songs. So, because I kind of think that for people living in Canada, unless you are a real music hound, you know, a lot of Australian music is, is uh, unknown to us. Yeah. You know, Australian and New Zealand music. You know, there's a few that that crept through the through across international borders, like Split Ends and Midnight Oil and, and bands ACDC. like that. ACDC, obviously, yeah, and uh, and you know, there's other ones if I was wanted to think about it. But um, but I felt that's probably the same way for Australia that a lot of Canadian groups, maybe some, you know, Brian Adams perhaps or uh, Celine Dion or big names, you know, Leonard Al- Cohen, Leonard Cohen, Alanis Morissette. There's a you know, there are artists who have. Um, Shania Twain, who have mm-hmm. crossed out, you know, oh Justin Bieber, uh, Justin Bieber, who have escaped the, the black hole of Canadian music, mm-hmm. the Canadian music scene, and have re- es- reached escape velocity to make it out into the real world. <laughs> you know, and it's the, real, real hard to get across that that Canadian U.S. border. It is actually because to to America, Canada is uh, basically. Uh, Something that they don't know very much about. It seems weird to us, but America is an incredibly insular country mm-hmm. in some in the way it looks at itself, and so it disregards both Mexico and Canada as as cultural equals. And so the way to make it, you know, the way to make it, even in Canada, the way to make it is to succeed in the states. Yeah, it's kind of like when Lauren Michaels, the producer of Saturday Night Live, went to when he's working at CBC, went to his bosses to ask for a raise, and when they refused him, he said, "Well, I could, you know." But what we're doing is so good here. And they said, well, if you're so great, why aren't you in the States? Hmm. And he thought, well, that's true. Why aren't I in the States? So he left Canada and then became Lauren Michaels of Saturday Night Live, you know. So even Canadians admit to ourselves that, you know, making Canada is nothing compared to making it in the States. So someone like, you know, a, um, you know, Canadian people who made it big like Jim Carrey Mm -hmm. or um, Mike Myers. Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds, Dan Aykroyd. People like that, you know, those are the the big stars. Even in Canada, those are the people we pay attention to. We yeah. we ignore the people who 
who stay here, the Sarah Paulies and the Molly Parkers and people like that who who have you know made a career working in independent Canadian cinema, which is kind of the heartblood of, of Canadian cinema because we don't have the money to have a huge Hollywood style um, industry. But it's not that we don't have the money; it's that our prime minister sold us out in the 1940s to Holly, well, 1930s <laughs> to Hollywood, uh, and when Canada started to produce. I mean, to be fair. Mm-hmm. To be fair. Be fair to Mackenzie King. To be fair to Mackenzie King, he knew that TV and movies were going nowhere. Radio. That was what you should invest (laughs) in. That's why he did all the CBC radio. Mm. You know, he looked and he said, you know what? This moving pictures, uh uh-uh. No future there. Radio. That's where the future is. Well, the truth is, Mary, is that Canada did start making its own movies. Mm -hmm. But Hollywood came, recognizing it as a threat. Yes. And convinced the Prime Minister of Canada, that it, he should shut down Canada's nascent movie business uh, to allow more American films into the country. And they would make films with Canadian content, with like have stuff set in Canada, mm. which, you know, they made a few movies. Like there's one, a musical or romance set in like Banff. <laughs> and there's a great film called 49th Parallel, which maybe it's because that movie's so great, it's worth not, us not having a film industry for, for 40 years. But... Uh, you know, other than that, it's it's been a while. Well, I guess maybe less than that. 30 years, I suppose, into the 70s. Yeah. I mean, you know, lots of stuff's filmed here now. Yeah, but it's not our not our voices. It's other people's voices who yeah. come here and just piggyback off of our, yeah, it's of not our like, cheap tax credits. It's not like everyone watching... It's not like everyone outside of Vancouver who watches Deadpool knows that it's filmed in Vancouver. Yeah, they don't even know? care. All the people watching Deadpool aren't like, oh, that's the Georgia Viaduct. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's People exactly watching right. Jason Takes Manhattan aren't watching him on the SkyTrain. Like, oh, that's the SkyTrain. Yeah, yeah. They're like, I don't remember that car in 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 New York. They're like, I don't remember. I don't remember <laughs> New York's mountain ranges. That must be one that goes to Queens <laughs> or something, which I never go on. Yeah, that's like uh, Rumble in the Bronx, which Bronx is beautiful mountainscapes. <laughs> the Jackie Chan film. So now, for me, Canadian music is kind of like our music industry. We have had a few interesting groups through the years. We've had some bands break out of Canada and make it big in the States and other places like Bachman Turner Overdrive or Neil Young would be an examples of people who, who got out. Leonard Cohen would be another example Mary brought up. Um, you know, and there's been interesting bands that, you know, really didn't make it outside of Canada or but were kind of pioneers like Syrinx who were doing uh, synthesizer and Moog music almost before anyone else, uh, both at the same time as Beaver and Krauss and people like that. So just so the just so the turn of like when uh, people like Wendy Carlos and Beaver Cross were, were starting to work in Moog. Syrinx were also doing that in Canada. So, you know, we've had our pioneers. We've had Rush. We know we've had our, you know, although I can't stand Rush. And if anyone wants to know why, just listen to the song The Trees, in which trees complain to each other. It's uh, <laughs> This makes you wonder if prog music should exist. <laughs> like if you went to like a, a court of, of music, you know, and there's a judge there and they're like, should prog music exist? And you're like, but prog music is so important. It was like such a great scene that combined elements of jazz and folk into this and classical music into this great sweeping vista. And then they'll just put the trees by rush on the, on the judges thing and be like, prog music, get out. It's illegal now. <laughs> so, um, but we have had, you know, some bands that have, you know, made it big in Canada, but, but I really think Canada, for whatever reason, in the 1990s into the two, early 2000s, had its own kind of musical renaissance in, in, in indie pop, which is where I'm mostly interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you can have your Brian Adams mm-hmm. if you want. You can have your... Michael Bublé. Michael Bublé. You can have your your, your um, Lover Boys. Mm-hmm. Your you know, Marianas Trench. Your 
Marianas Trench. What's that band from Abbotsford that everyone hates? Nickelback. Nickelback, your Nickelbacks. You can have your, um, <clears throat> what's that band called that uh, did uh, Trooper? You know, we're here for a good time, not a long time. Mm, okay. Bands like that. Uh, well, I really like Chilliwack a lot, but Chilliwack were great. The Collectors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing about Canada was that because Canada is both small and large at the same time, we are a huge continent. We're the, if Russia is bigger than it is right now, mm-hmm. like if, if the Soviet Union was still together and as, you know, this SSR, you know, the, so- the Soviet socialist states all kind of put together, mm-hmm. it would be bigger than us. But right now we are, I think we're the largest landmass really? in in the world. I yes. thought Russia was still bigger. I don't know if it is with, without the Ukraine, oh. which is why I want the Ukraine back so badly. Right. So it can be the biggest. It's all about penis That's, size. Yeah, probably. But I mean, the other thing about Canada mm-hmm. is it's vast. Um, and I feel like the, there's also a lot of difference in people. That's true. There's you know? because well because it's so big, like it's so so far across from from coast to coast. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, it has, east to west and north to south. And the United States has the same thing. It's it's vast from east to west. But the United States has you know over three hundred million people in it. Mm-hmm. Canada has just over thirty million people in it. Mm-hmm. So it's a different feeling of population, particularly in the in the sixties and seventies when you know communication was definitely different than like you know the idea of phoning someone in another province was was like you know it was like stabbing your parent if you wanted to phone someone who, who lived in another province because you know just the idea of like like the gold dripping into the phone as you talk long distance to someone in another <laughs> province like it was just like murder to your parents you know like I, I had a friend who moved from here here from BC to Ontario and we basically lost touch with, with each other partly because I was a terrible letter writer because I'm a perfectionist and could never send him a letter but also we couldn't phone each other, which would have been like an easy way for us to chat, would mm. be to call. Why didn't you just text? Because there was no text, my dear. What? Yeah. We lived in a time without wait, texting. Wait. Why didn't you just message each other, on, each other on Facebook? Well, we didn't have Facebook in, that, in those days. But you followed each other on Instagram, We right? did not have Instagram either. Did there you was Snapchat? No, we didn't do anything for the what? gram. No, nothing. Oh, my God. No, that's exactly huh. right. So well, all the ways that people have You're missing the obvious then. Okay, The old-timey. Yeah. You could have just Skyped. We, don't have, we didn't have Skype either. <laughs> Sorry to tell you that. <laughs> Nor ALL or MSN either. I don't even know what those are. Messenger? No, I know what those are. Okay. I'm just pretending to be younger <laughs> than I am. You know, I also did not have those things growing up. <laughs> <laughs> so the easy way of, uh, you know, so in the 60s and 70s in Canada, play, you know, there were scenes that developed separately from each other, but it was hard to have like a uni- a unified scene. You know, like, so there could be a scene in Winnipeg that was really cool. You know, that would be the Guess Who and... And no one else. And then, you know, there'd be a scene in Montreal, there'd be a scene in Toronto, there'd be a scene in the East Coast, there'd be scenes in the West Coast where we had the collectors, we had um, Mother Tucker's Yellow Duck, Mock Duck. Why were there two bands with duck in their title here in Vancouver? No one knows. But, uh, you know, there were, there were good scenes going around those those scenes. And then there was a West Coast scene, which stretched from L.A. up to Vancouver. But there was no, it was much harder to have a cross-country scene. You know, so there was no interplay between what was happening in, in Halifax and what was happening in Vancouver for years through this 60s, 70s, and 80s. In the 80s, there was touring. So some bands would tour, but it was very difficult to tour. You know, imagine getting in a van with four other smelly people mm-hmm. and crossing 4,000 miles of, of a continent, you know, touring the whole time, eating terribly, mm-hmm. you know, and then having to drive partway Part of that would be through some terrible part of the seasons as well. So oh, you'd be yeah. like cooking through the summer, driving through the prairies. And I mean, you're driving for going... like, 
You're driving for like 18 hours through the prairies without even seeing anyone. Yeah. You know. And then you're having to go through the through the mountains, through through the uh, through the, the Rockies, Stoke, yeah, through, through the Kootenays, through the. And so that's just a huge task, and it was probably much harder in those days when the roads mm-hmm. were different than they are now. So all these scenes kind of grew up away from each other. But in the 90s, suddenly we had we could start having like a unified scene. There was there was radio, there was touring, there was uh, you know like college radio, and then there was uh, much music, which bizarrely was a very, although it was regional, it gave you a sense of what was happening in other regions as well. So it had coverage of the East Coast, had coverage of the West Coast, and it went out to all of Canada. Mm-hmm. And so things like that kind of created this sort of unified feeling of all the different musical scenes in Canada. So what Sloan was doing in Vancouver was knowable to what, you know, Superconductor was doing here in, in Vancouver. You know, so you had these cross scenes. And so that allowed, so that allowed for, um, I just had the sudden panic that I hadn't turned on the, <laughs> the tape machine. I would have let you know. The, um, we had this, yeah, so we had this a sudden connection between all these different places. So Toronto scenes and Halifax scenes and Montreal scenes and Vancouver scenes and Winnipeg scenes and Alberta scenes and whatever was happening was knowable to everyone. And we had this sudden flowering of music in Canada, which gave birth to all this great, all these great bands, not just the ones that I have on this mix, because there's some that I left off accidentally because I forgot about them when I was making it. Hmm. And, but and there's some that didn't work on it because the musical, because they're a little too new mm. and they didn't quite fit the sound that I had started with. Right. And so, but, you know. like So any, is the sound that you're going for pretty much a 90s indie? It kind of became a 90s indie thing okay. with some, with a, the occasional foray into the, into the early 2000s, which I think, okay. I think that scene in that, that kind of a decade from 95 to 2005-ish mm-hmm. is pretty pretty uh, unified in its right. sound and, and its approach to music. Okay. So you're not, you don't have a lot of stuff on there from like the collector from the 60s. No, there's no 60s, no 70s, okay. no 80s. And that was a an aesthetic choice, I guess. And partly because I'm still, to be honest with you, I'm still only knowledgeable about Vancouver's independent music scene in the 80s. Mm. I don't know what Toronto's independent music scene was like in the 80s. I don't know what Halifax's music scene was like in the 80s. Yeah. I don't know those bands. Very few of those bands ever made it out this far. Mm-hmm. You know, they might have gone to Toronto to play. That's yeah. that's easy to do. Yeah, like Montreal to Toronto. Right. Super easy. easy. Halifax to Toronto, easy. The mm-hmm. East Coast is fairly, fairly smallish compared to the, how stretched out the West Coast is. Yeah. It's once you get out past Toronto and, you know, it's like a, you know, 12 hour drive to the next pro- province yeah. that it gets harder to tour and harder to travel. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. it's, it's understandable they never made it out here, but it just makes it, you know, I, I really am pretty ignorant of, of those scenes. I know little bits of it. I know Simply Saucers and stuff like that, you know, Teenage Head, those kind of bands that, you know, kind of crept out of that scene where they got signed to a, a major Canadian label or what. That's a, you know, major Canadian label. You put that in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. So it's so meaningless. But, so- but uh, you know, so some of those bands kind of slipped past the, 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 you know, kind of physical barriers, the geographical barriers of Canada. But it's still, the living in Vancouver in the 70s and 80s was really like living on an island because you, you had so little contact with, with the rest of Canada. And we kind of liked it. And they hated us. And we hated them. That's how it was. That's, you know, normal. It's how, I don't know, what would be co- comparison to, I'm sure every place in the world has like regional feelings, again, you know, whether it's the Southern United States versus the Northern United States mm-hmm. or the West Coast versus East Coast mm-hmm. in rap terms or, yeah. you know, well, yeah, Scotland like, versus England. It's like um, 
It's like my high school is better than your high school. Yeah, but right? but my high school is better than your high, your high school. But we've never actually visited each other's high schools mm-hmm. because we can't because it's too far to go. <laughs> but we still don't like each other. That's what it's like. So so let's start then. Let's start our mixtape, everyone. Let's get going here. Enough talk. Time to rock. Uh, this band we're going to start with. Actually, you know what? This is the opposite of rock that I'm starting with. Actually, it's the Deers. Uh, They're a band from Montreal, Quebec, and this song is called There Goes My Outfit. Let's give it a listen, everyone. This is from uh, 2006. Here we go. Summer 
All right, Mara, so that was The Deers with uh, There Goes My Outfit mm-hmm. from their 2006 album Gang of Losers. Yes. And uh, you have any thoughts on that song? I like that song. Yes. I love that album. Yes. It's that a... is not my favorite song from the album. Okay. But I do like that song a lot. What's your favorite song on the album? Probably White's Only Party. Okay. But I also really like I Fell Deep, mm. and I also really like Ballad of Human Kindness. They're all they're all good songs. Yes, they are. I don't know I don't know why I chose this song. Just probably. Probably because it's a very good song. Right, <laughs> it's kind of worked there, I guess. But um, yes, that's a very good album. Uh, um, the Deers are basically uh, led by a husband and wife uh, team of Murray Lightburn, who plays guitar and is the main singer in the group, and Natalia Janchuk, who plays keyboards and also provides vocals. And like many of the bands on this list, they are not successful enough to ever remain together as a full band for for their entire career. So mm-hmm. you get you get like the main core of the band, which right. is Lightburn and, and his wife, and then you get a kind of a, uh, a rotating or not even rotating, just sort of a what would be the an assembly line of uh, <laughs> members that kind of a come swinging door, a swinging door of people that come and go, uh, but never return. In most cases, they just play for a while with the group and then have to get a real job mm. and, and move on with their lives. You know, get the fun of playing for a while. Um, I saw this band open for Sloan, and one of the things I want to say, I have a question. Oh, please ask questions. You have you seen every band on this mixtape open for Sloan? No, but I've seen many of the bands. Okay. Here, I feel like that is going to be a phrase <laughs> that we hear a lot. I was just going to say that because Sloan, because of their popularity and also because of their generosity, have been a major um, supporter and like kind of conduit for these bands to reach a, a wider audience. Like their uh, MTV, no, Much Music, much show, music show um, Sloan right. and Friends. That's right. Which they? Um, they used to get the name of bands like Local Rabbits out there, right? But also bands who are on their own record label, Murder Records, which also doesn't hurt. So there is a commercial element to it as well. Well, yeah, of course. But the Deers were not signed to Murder Records, so this was completely uh, um, just that they liked them a lot. But but yes, I've seen a lot of, and some bands that aren't even on this list, like Danko Jones and... and, Oh, no, that band is on here that we saw with him. But yeah, there's a lot of bands on here that... Uh, <laughs> is Rufus Rain- Rainwright on this? Mix? Yes, Rufus Rainwright okay. is here. I saw him <clears throat> open for them on the Navy Blues tour. There's mm-hmm. so many... Dear, there's so many bands that have opened for Sloan that were great. Yes. Because not I... only is Sloan generous, yes. but also really good talent spotters. Yeah. You know, not just it with their Murder Records roster, which was extensive and really mm-hmm. all really good bands, but just in terms of like choosing bands to open for them over the years, it's been amazing. Yeah. And, and there's some that opened for them that I don't know who they were, and I wish I did because they played right. a song that was so good. Yeah. And I wish I could find it, but I can't. It's lost forever, and my, only my memory does it exist. Hmm. And that's pretty feeble. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. So I, And they were quite good. And what's interesting with, with the Dearest to me is the singer is black. Murray Lightburn is a black man but he sings in a kind of like arthur lee from love he sings in a white idiom i feel like he's hmm. not someone who's like bringing like you wouldn't listen to the ears and go oh this is very you know it's like black music or mm-hmm. soul music or whatever it's very much playing a kind of like an indie pop thing which is obviously what he enjoys what he likes yep. so so kudos to him mm-hmm. um yeah he's often compared to morrissey who actually the deers have opened for oh really yeah hmm. yeah and i can see a little bit not entirely but i guess in the in in some ways their voices are, are kind of similar but i don't know if musically they have much common. no yeah i think the deers is more is poppier than morrissey is. Yeah, yeah yeah a different sort of poppiness yeah 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 okay well that was the deers mm-hmm. a good band a very good band yes and i highly recommend not just el- this album but any uh, any of their albums from around this time, I'm not too familiar with their later albums. They just put out a, a new one a couple of years ago, and I, but I've not, not heard that one. But yeah, I think if you're going to 
look into them, Gang of Losers from 2006 is a very good album mm-hmm. to sort of, as a jumping off point. It yeah. has lots of really good songs. Yes, it is very good. <clears throat> okay, well, speaking of Sloan, mm-hmm. I couldn't do a mix and not have Sloan on it. <laughs> well, of course. And I also decided that rather than do my usual thing, which is to play the off cuts, play the the album cuts that I love instead of the singles, which mm-hmm. I also like, but not mm-hmm. as often as much as I like album cuts. This is uh, a definite single. This was a this was a major, major single here in Canada. This was a hugely popular song. Had a lot of rotation on the, the video channel, Much Music here in Canada, that we mentioned. And uh, from their third album, One Chord to Another, this is Everything You've Done Wrong. Here we go. Let's hear it.
Okay. Okay, that clatter, was... Clatter, clatter, clatter. Clatter, smash, bash. <laughs> things fall over. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome back from the clatter. That was that was Sloan and uh, their song, Everything You've Done Wrong, from their, like I said, their third album, One Chord to Another, which came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we'll be going back farther than 1996. We may creep back another year, but 1996, around there, it seems to be the, the circle of many of these songs. Right. Now, Sloan is one of Canada's... I wouldn't say most successful bands, hmm. but they're very well known. I would say that they're one of the, I, I would say that they are the most successful only in Canada. A group. They're a very popular indie group in Canada. So in like, terms of. In, I feel like there's bands that have, yeah. that are popular, that who have trout, like whose popularity has gone outside of Canada. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if there's bands that are as popular as Sloan who are only popular in Canada. Oh, I can think of, I can think of one and we'll come to them in a while. Oh, okay. Okay. But, uh. But I'll say that as a surprise for you, Mary. Okay, do that. And when I say their name, you'll go, oh yeah, what was I thinking? Okay. So, um, now Sloan broke up. What? They ended their career. They were no more. When? After they fin- after their album Twice Removed, which was a real disaster. That was their second album. Their second album, yeah. They did they did Smeared for Geffen Records, mm-hmm. but they did not like Smeared very much in terms of how it was produced. Yeah. They felt like it was too contemporary that the drum sound was too contemporary, mm-hmm. that it was just too contemporary a sound, that it didn't have a timeless quality which they wanted for their yeah. music. They, it was very 90s. It's a very grungy it's a, it's album. It's a very 90s album, and that's that's a problem with that album. Yeah. And that's what they felt, even at the time, they felt like they made an album that sounded out of date the day it came out. Mm. And that's what they didn't want, you mm-hmm. know? So they started working on Twice Removed. And we, last time we heard yeah. a song from that album, we heard Underwhelmed. Uh, from Smeared, that's yeah, right. Yeah, from Smeared. Yeah. So... They started working on Twice Removed, uh, started working on it in New York City, and it was produced there under the auspices of uh, Geffen Records. And they drew from their love of music, not just their love of grunge, which they did like, you know, or they were they, they, not such fans of grunge, but like grunge artists, they were fans of, of 1980s, you know, hardcore thrash bands and the, the, and the kind of group they became. So bands like The Replacements and, the Husker, and Husker Du and whatnot, who started off in the hardcore scenes and speed metal and stuff like that, and then transitioned into a more of a, you know, punk pop sound or pure, you know, kind of rock, you know, rock and roll or pop sound like The Replacements. Uh, they enjoyed that, but they also loved music from the 60s and the 70s as well. And they combined all of those loves into this album. And Geffen hated it. Because it wasn't what they signed. Yeah. They wanted... Grunge. They wanted grunge. They wanted another Nirvana. And that's not what Sloan was giving them. Sloan spent $120,000 making Twice Removed. And Geffen Records refused it mm-hmm. and wanted them to re-record it to make it more contemporary sounding. Yeah. And Sloan refused. They said, no, this is the album we made. This is what we want to put out. And so Geffen did what any record company would do, which is shot itself in the face. <laughs> they said, "Okay, we're going to put it out, but we're not going to promote it at all. We're not going to we're not going to do anything with this album. We're not going to put any extra money into it, so dumb. and we're just going to let it die." And that's so what dumb. They, and that's what they did. So stupid. Of course, it's stupid. Like it's so petty. Yes. To like spend one hundred twenty thousand dollars on something. Yeah. And then don't forget like... that's the band who spent the one hundred twenty thousand oh. dollars. Oh, what did wait? When you when you record an album for <clears throat> for a label, they pay for your they pay your upfront chart the upfront costs. Mm-hmm. But you owe them the money for those upfront costs. Oh, okay. You see what I mean? So okay, well that makes more sense then. Yeah. So they they don't care because it's you're you're the one who's footing the bill. Right. They just they just don't want to. They are perfectly happy to sabotage your career rather than promote their own interests, having signed you to make a successful band that will make them more money. Yeah. So they sabotage this album, and 
Sloan basically broke up. Andrew Scott, the drummer slash guitarist slash singer songwriter in the group, one of the four songwriters in the band, uh, fell in love with a girl from Toronto, mm -hmm. left Halifax and moved to Toronto. And that was the end of Sloan. Mm -hmm. So How could he? <laughs> the heart wants what the heart <laughs> wants. So, so then Sloan left in an interesting position. They were still signed to Geffen. Mm -hmm. They still owed them albums. Yes. Which and $120,000. And $120,000, which they didn't want to do. They had their own record company in Canada called Murder Records, uh, which was a fairly successful record in, a record label in terms of in terms of indie bands. They had uh, signed the Super Friends, Jail, Thrush Hermit, the Inbreds, and also Montreal's Local Rabbits, which are names that are gobbledygook to everyone out there but, but we have heard the super friends and local rabbits on here before. yes we've heard those bands that's true and so um sorry you were saying that those names are gobbledygook to everyone yeah outside of but in the indie in the indie scene in canada of course they're they're all you know highly regarded groups so they had this kind of super roster but of course it's only selling like you know canadian indie bands will sell so that is not a lot is yes. the thing so so um they canadians are famously cheap it's not that we're famously cheap. Mm, it's just, I think we're pretty cheap. It's just that the scene suffered from what has suffered for every Canadian scene in Canada, which is the difficulty of distribution, like getting outside of outside of your your own scenes. You know, and it could be for a variety of reasons. Like here in Vancouver, we had this monopoly on the entertainment industry that was basically like a triumvirate of superpowers here that absolutely, literally crushed bands under its heel hmm. for twenty years in Vancouver. There was this guy named. Um, there's a few people. I don't want to name their names, actually, now that I think about it. Well, Bruce Allen is one of them. Okay. He's this kind of super manager. He managed Loverboy. He managed Brian Allen. And he probably, probably manages Michael Bublé. Hmm. You know, just because he's famous. Right. There's no other way that he could be famous here in Vancouver. But he, a concert promoter in town, whose name escapes me right now, but he's mentioned in a Destroyer song. Um, it's unsurprising. <laughs> uh, the radio stations in Vancouver all conspired together to crush the local scene. So they would promote... Certain bands mm -hmm. who were managed by Bruce Allen, who were mm -hmm. promoted by by that this promoter guy. guy whose name I can't remember, and the radio stations would only play certain groups, and all the other groups were left to 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 die basically. And so the scene in Vancouver had such trouble like getting outside of that, like beating that system. Like there's just, it was so hard because where do you get played? You get played on maybe on the college radio or university radio in, in Vancouver, but university radio has a very small listenership. You can maybe get signed to Mint Records in here or Zulu Records, but that's really hard too. How do you get how do you get past that? How do you get distribution outside of those very small small labels? So it was a real it was a real conundrum here. And I imagine other scenes had that problem too. One of the few scenes that didn't have that problem was the Halifax scene. Which is why through also having a fabulous hosts for their for their um, much music regional show, Mike and Mike, uh, who were really funny mm -hmm. and presented a really charming view of that scene and also Sloan uh, Chris Murphy being such a charming fellow himself mm -hmm. that they created this kind of sense of a real burgeoning scene there that didn't you couldn't get that feeling anywhere else in Canada right but still distribution was difficult anyway I have a lot of I have a lot of opinions about Canadian, the mu Canadian music scene everyone apparently so <laughs> Sloan decided that they should maybe get back together and do a record for murder records mm. so it would come out on murder records mm -hmm. meaning they had to negotiate away from Geffen. Right. So they had to... So Geffen wanted to release this album, but Sloan were not very happy with the idea of that because they'd pretty much... They'd poisoned 
the relationship yeah. with the treatment of them on the last record. So Sloan were not really too keen on the idea of it working any any further with Geffen. That's fair. So so they basically Geffen basically released them without penalty. So obviously they probably still owed them for their for their they probably still owed the money for their studio costs right. on uh, Twice Removed and stuff like that. And they probably for years did not see any money from from Smeared or, or Twice Removed as it was solely paying off their video and uh, studio costs. Mm-hmm. But uh, one Court to another came out was entirely owned by them. Yeah, and so it came out on on Murder Records was distributed by Universal Music in Canada, and but because. They were doing it themselves. They went from having $120,000 to make a record mm-hmm. to having $10,000 to make a record. Mm-hmm. And then they also had the problem of their drummer living in Toronto and not being interested in, in continuing in the band. Right. And so, but they were able to convince him to help. Mm-hmm. So he gave them five hours of his time to do all the drum tack- tracks for all 13 or whatever songs are on the 13 or 14 songs that okay. are on the CD. So they had to go to Toronto. Mm-hmm. They brought their... They, Wait, a... so they went to, went to Toronto and he could only give them five hours? Yeah. What? Okay. So, Come on, Andrew. He was not keen on this. <laughs> so they recorded all his stuff on a little cassette deck, a four-track cassette deck. Love it. Uh, which they did not know how to use very well. They recorded all of his drums separately onto the four tracks. Okay. Which was not a very good idea. No. Because then you had nowhere to put other instruments. <laughs> um, so, and like that created problems, obviously. So, for instance, they did dump... They did dump the um, those tracks. They they actually rented a studio which had a sixteen track deck, and they just dumped those four tracks into the, onto the sixteen track deck and used that. But they still had like these really lo fi quality recordings of the drums, which are basically the drum sound in the entire album, or like the cheapest way you could ever record <laughs> drums. This is all they had. They used the same mic for everything. For every instrument on the album, had the same mics. They had no idea how to produce stuff, so everything sounds the same. Right. When they went to record a song in there called Junior Panthers, which had a piano p- part on it, they didn't have a piano in the studio they were doing the overdubs in. So mm-hmm. they had to go to Chris Murphy's mom and dad's place and use the piano in his house. <laughs> but because they only had this four-track recorder, they had to record over two tracks of the drums to do the piano parts. So because uh, Jay Ferguson didn't know how to play piano very well, so Chris Murphy had to play the root chord so he could play the other chords on the piano. <laughs> it's a real, It was a real uh, fun do-it-yourself thing that they had going there. Yeah. But the important thing is that they owned this album. Yes. And they were able to get... And one of the, the nice things in Canada at the time was that there was a, a government thing called Video Fact. And Video Fact would pay, would help subsidize the cost of, of videos for you. So you could make a video for much music and they would they would underwrite some of the cost. Nice. So that was made it a lot easier. Love that, love that CanCon. You got to love, love that CanCon can, money. Yes, not only was there CanCon, which, which <clears throat> you know, gave them airplay to a degree, but also... Yes, had a, a system that subsidized making videos, which seems kind of crazy now, but but what the heck? Made a lot of made for a lot of great videos to have all these great Canadian bands of that time period. See, there's a reason for a, a renaissance. Yeah, oh and yeah. It's, it's not just it's not because there's talent. Mm-hmm. It's because, because there's there funding. There's not. Yeah, there's always talent. Mm-hmm. It's the opportunity for that talent to come out. Yeah. You know, so why would you have a burgeoning Glasgow scene mm-hmm. in the '90s? Is because you had a government program that let groups record a single you know for free right. as part of government program yeah. so so kids who are musically inclined could join this program and at the end of it they actually got to make their own single you know or in the case of Bell and Sebastian who went through this record a whole album by practicing enough that you record that album in the time it took to record a single <laughs> you know iconic 
iconic, yes, <laughs> in a way. So like I say, so although Geffen had expressed interest in releasing this album, one of the kind of fallout for, for this album was that because Geffen didn't release it in the States and thus wasn't there to promote it, they signed to a much smaller label, uh, I think a label called The Enclave, that they met while they are doing the uh, contemporary music, the CMJ shows in New York City. And those, they signed to The Enclave, which actually uh, went out of business like within the year of, of them putting out this record, not because of Sloan, but just the, the vicissitudes <laughs> of the record industry. Uh, but that was their only release of this album in the States and kind of spelled the end of Sloan in the States as like a possibility of being a major act there. And so now they're a much more interesting act to me in the States, which is they're a, they're a cult act in the States. And we went and saw them, Mary, you and I, and and, yes. and our family went down and saw Saw them not perform. Eve, because she wasn't 21 yet. Eve not, could not come with us because she could not go into the bar, into the bar. But uh, we went down and saw them in the states, and it was kind of interesting to see them in the states as opposed to Canada. Whereas in Canada, you get a certain amount of jerk faces in the in a Sloan audience because they get played on the radio here. So there's a certain amount of of goofballs who hear the music and go to see it because they've heard the song on a Future Shop commercial. Yeah, or, or they gets, like sports. They like sports and it's played in hockey arenas or whatever. And so then, but when you went, went to see it in Seattle, not only do you get like deep cuts from their albums yes. because Sloan don't have to play their hits because mm-hmm. these people down there, there's no hits from Sloan. Yeah. yeah no so one's there going, yeah, everyone's, s- like, everyone's like, play that one from the hockey thing. That's right. We want the one with the siren at the beginning. <laughs> so there's no one yelling that at the, the van- at the Seattle show. Just one guy who was really mad because Chris Mur- Murphy made a... Made a, made a joke about how nothing happens in Seattle. There's no music scene in Seattle. An <laughs> obvious joke because Seattle has like famous for its music scenes, but you know. And this guy got really mad and was trying to get Chris Murphy to come off the stage and fight him. <laughs> and so Chris Murphy just looked at security and was like, get this guy out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it was very it was very good. This guy was like, hey, Chris, get, get down here. Come on. Come on. You could take me. I could take you or whatever. To, Chris Chris is like, get out. Get this guy. To come be on. fair to Chris Murphy, uh, I've often seen him have people thrown out of shows for for abusing audience members so yeah so it's uh no i I just i thought it was what goes around comes around yeah (laughs) i just thought it was very funny that he was just like get just get this guy out of here like i'm obviously not gonna fight this man (laughs) sure don't blame him don't blame him all right well that was a good song it was and a fun story i'm sure everyone thought yeah and we like sloan oh i love sloan let's go on to our next song everyone this is uh the american flag or as they were also known, I think, in the States as Herschel Savage and the American flag. Um, this is from 1998, and the song is the three-on-one experiment, bracket, it's all about you, bracket. So let's give it a listen, everyone, and listen carefully, because it doesn't last long. Oh, baby, it's all about sunshine,
right, Mary, is it is it all about sunshine and supermodels? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it is all about them. Yeah. Yes. Um, this is the second song we've had by this band. Yes, that's right. First mm-hmm. one was Oh My Mind from yes. their, their, their Just Like Friends EP. This is from their actual album, which was called The American Flag, which was produced under the auspices of Robert Pollard from Guided by Voices, hmm. who this band was very much, I think you could make some direct comparisons to Guided by Voices between the sound of, of American Flag and, and Guided by Voices. Not entirely, of course, like any band. Your influencer is part of who you are, but they definitely were inspired by Guided by Voices. They, the album contains an unreleased Guided by Voices song, which was given to them to do for the album by Robert Pollard. And uh, it was put out on a record label that was associated with Guided by Voices. So. Hmm. And I think it's a great album. And what I really like about it is that it is a fast album. It is, yeah. you know, all the songs are very short. All the songs are less than like less than they're all pop song like like yeah, as if you're listening all, to a Beatles album. Yeah, the, they're all like less than two minutes. Pre sixty seven, yeah, they're all they're all around the the longest two and a half minutes. Like just all perfect radio friendly fodder. If radio was friendly to sort of music nowadays, <laughs> which is it's not, it's which not, is unfortunate. Which is too bad. These songs are so fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and really great. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend the album if you could ever find it, which I doubt you could. But uh, yeah. I mean, even I can't even find them online. I think I talked about this last time, mm-hmm. but like looking up the American flag band, yeah, you just get a lot of results for the Star Spangled Banner or the group the Electric Flag. I've never had that. They're like, do you mean the Electric Flag? This no. band from the 1960s? No, when I look up, no, the, I don't. The Google? American flag band. Yeah, people they they give me all these results for people who look up the American flag song because they can't remember the name of the Star Spangled Banner. Like it's your national anthem, dude. Just look up national anthem. Why are you looking? At, it's not called the American flag song. What a weird thing to. What a weird way to search that. That's funny. Yeah, if you put in Herschel Savage in the American flag, you do get uh, uh, some results, but they're nothing. You get some Discogs things, which yeah. is Discogs is basically like a a wiki for albums, mm-hmm. which I like it a lot. Cause it's, yeah, it it's doesn't have a lot research, of info, though. But it doesn't have... Some albums it does, some albums it doesn't. Yeah. It, but it doesn't have like a lot of biographical... In, yeah. It's more like... The information on the CD is yeah. All, is, it's is like it's like here's the song, here's recorded. the track listings, yeah. here's how long the songs are, here's, here's who the produced year it. came out, here's, here's who produced it. Yeah. 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 Um. And yeah. And also, I would have to I would have to know the name of that person to yeah. look up the band. Yeah. It's like if I'm looking up the band, I want to find more information about them. Sure. Oh. Yeah. So, um, and this band, like several other bands besides Sloan, which Sloan follows kind of the Four Musketeers rule. Excuse me, the Four Musketeers rule of uh. Of, they're called the Three Musketeers. Who are? The Three Musketeers. They're called the Three Musketeers, not the Four Musketeers. I know there's four of them, but their name is the Three Musketeers. Well, you're not thinking of the second movie, which is called The Four Musketeers, Mary. It was a book, but okay. So, <laughs> so which is that they're all for one and one for all. So okay. all all their all their money is put into into a into one pot and all divided equally between them, whether that's songwriting, mm-hmm. album royalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, Touring, touring royalties, singles, and stuff like that. It doesn't matter. So, for instance, uh, during this period of time, for this album, mm-hmm. for the last album, for One Chord to Another, mm-hmm. and for Navy Blues, mm-hmm. uh, it was... Um, Chris Merkel. Patrick Pentland. Okay. Who... <laughs> I had a list in my mind because I couldn't... Patrick Pentland, who wrote the hit songs for that time period, oh, okay. he wrote... He wrote... Uh, you know, She says what she means. No, that was actually oh. Chris Mercy. But he wrote uh, Money City Maniacs. Oh, okay. He wrote... Uh, Losing California. Okay. He wrote that last song we played, mm-hmm. Everything You've Done Wrong, yep. and also um, the other hit single from that album, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. From the set, the third, their third album? From One Chord to Another, yeah. You know, the one that opens with uh, 
do 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 you know the one that uh, yes has a Sloan. <laughs> it's the one that has the Easy Rider movie opening as the opening of the video, and then they and then instead of being cocaine, that's a guitar that they trade. What song is that? Everything you no, that's not. I, I was also thinking everything you did wrong. Oh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so um. But he wrote all those hit songs. Yeah. So instead of having all the money go to him, yeah. because he wrote those, yeah. the money was shared equally between the four of them. Yeah, that's right. Which definitely prevents bad feelings definitely prevents bad feelings allows everyone to get by in a band so you don't yeah. have people who are starving to death mm-hmm. you don't have the drummer who only is only getting money from touring and not from any of the mechanicals right so yeah he's like living in like a basement suite and like working at a grocery store <laughs> yeah. working nights at a grocery store to pay yeah. the bills and everyone else is living in like penthouses yeah and they're like why are you mad dude yeah why are you leaving the band we you're a big part of our sound you know? yeah no, yeah, yeah they're i don't like... i don't feel appreciated i don't know why i don't feel appreciated <laughs> yeah it's your problem um so yeah the uh so we kind of uh, besides them this band also kind of falls in well it's actually just two guys who make up american flag uh, a guy named evan weisblatt and another guy named al senor hmm. and so there are they are uh they are the american flag but the band itself was produced by brendan mcguire who's kind of like the sort of secret mover and shaker in uh the the, the indie music scene he's produced sloan feist the deers super friends and uh Many other bands. Hmm. Like he's kind of a, he started off as the uh, sound engineer, the live sound engineer for Sloan, and then sort oh, okay. of moved from there into cool. into producing, and then became a go to producer. Cool. Like he produced the first first Super Friends album, which was recorded in their house they were renting. Oh. So because he was a live sound guy, he could bring all the equipment to the house and right. set up a studio there. Right. That's cool. M- much the enjoyment of the roommates who had to listen to this band <laughs> play oh, playing it album like, for two weeks. I thought, I thought it was a situation where like what no was no that would, one band. Was it Harvey Danger where it was like yeah, they, yeah, they all, all went lived... to school together and then they moved into a, like a house together? Kind of a communal house. No, no. Yeah. This was a house that they, one, like, shared one of the people. members of Super Friends shared oh. with other with other roommates. Yikes. And then they turned it into like a, a band rehearsal place for yeah. two weeks so they could record an album. Not conducive for communal living. Probably didn't even wash their dishes. Probably not. Probably just left coffee mugs everywhere. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, typical. Ugh, and they're like, well, my guys. mom used to always wash the dishes. That's I don't right. know why. I don't know. Why. You know, I, when, I lived, when I lived at home, I would just put it like on the couch cushions and then it would just be gone the next day. Yeah. I don't know what. What's going on here? How come there's not house elves at this place? <laughs> All right, everyone. So let's move on to our next song. Uh, oh, wait, I have a question. Oh, please ask questions. Did the American flag ever um, work with Sloan? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. I was kind of thinking that myself. I don't... I don't think they toured with them because I never, I regularly saw Sloan at this time period and I did not see them. They might have, they might have been in, in, uh, they might have toured and might have done some shows in Toronto, mm. but I kind of wonder because I think it would have been hard for that group to tour because there's just two guys right. who are doing like, although, oh. you know, there's bat and they kind of like were predating or maybe were coinciding with groups like the White Stripes mm-hmm. and, um, that other group, the black keys who mm. you know played like two two people playing like one guy on drums and one guy on on guitar or whatever right and just make as much make a loud noise and then you'll <laughs> then other people won't notice there's only two of you yeah why isn't there a bass in this band it's really <laughs> missing something all right so let's uh let's go on to uh our friend mm-hmm. and not yours ac newman mm, okay from his album the slow wonder i didn't know we were friends with ac newman oh, i don't know ac newman oh how come he's our friend and not theirs well, because he's Canadian. Well, some of them could be Canadian. I doubt it. Okay. So then, uh, okay, if you're Canadian, he's your friend too. <laughs> if you're Canadian and you live on the West Coast. Oh, yeah. Yes. He's your friend too. Yes. 
if you live on this side of the Rockies, mm-hmm. friends, other than that. So really just BC then? Yeah. Not West Coast, just Alberta. I mean, just BC, not Alberta. Well, even West Coast, I think is pretty much. Yeah, even West Coast. Not even the island. Just... Just the mainland. Just this mainland. So basically just Vancouver. Just Vancouver. If you live in Vancouver. If you live in Vancouver. Okay. Or White Rock, which is where I grew up. You grew up in White Rock? Yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, let's listen to this song. This is the longest preamble for a song yet. <laughs> this is uh, Drink to Me, Babe. Isn't it Drink to Me, Babe, then? Nope. Oh. The song is called Drink to Me, Babe. Oh, okay. The lyrics are Drink to Me, Babe, then. Oh, okay. Okay. Let's Any- not get confused. Anyway. All right. Sorry. Let's, let's keep... listen to this song. Wait. Can we make this longer? <laughs> no. Let's, here, I'll say something else about him. <laughs> Well, what's the what's the album? I said the slow wonder. Oh, okay. What year? Two thousand four. Okay, let's hear. Let's hear Jerk. Babe, then. Yeah, let's hear that song. Okay, here we go. I really thought it was called Drink Me, Babe, Then. Mm-hmm. Come to me, please. All these years for. Now this perfect view On the upside, both sides win On the downside, we buy, we pull through Through the boring choices, rich kids choose On a landslide, you ride in Drink to me. 
All right. So that was uh, AC Newman, mm-hmm. or as he's better known, Carl Newman, mm-hmm. or his actual name, Ellen Carl Newman. Okay. With Drink to Me, Babe, then. Mm-hmm. Mar- oh, sorry. Drink, Drink to, to Me, babe. babe. There, you got me confused. <laughs> so what do you think of this song, Mary? I like the song. Yeah, it's, it's very, good. It's very nice. Yeah. yeah. This is, this and uh, On the Table are my, my two top picks from this uh, CD, mm-hmm. which I got because I'm a fan of The New Pornographers, uh, which is uh, his... I guess his main band. Yes. Now, if you were part of the Vancouver music scene, and I imagine this is the same for music scenes all around, everywhere, mm-hmm. not just here, all over. Because you know what, folks? It's hard to be in a band. And it's hard to make it in music. This is a fact. And that is not to discourage you from trying. Because I think it's possible to be successful in music. And I think it's possible to have a career in music. Mm-hmm. Or I think it's possible to have fun playing music. And you should never stop doing that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. Yes. And so if you live in a place like Vancouver, where... Rent is approximately two-thirds of your income. Mm-hmm. You need to... You need to... Um, have an income. Well, it's not that you need to have an income, but you have to, like... You have to... I can't think of the word now. It's not coming off the top of my head, but, Mary, where you have to, like, you know, kind of put... You have to kind of put, put your... Put your eggs in many baskets. In many baskets, that's right. You have yeah. to do whatever that's called. Diversify. Mm. You have to diversify. Right. So someone like Carl Newman, when he was mm-hmm. playing in, in the... New Pornographers. When he's playing in the New Pornographers. Before he was in the New Pornographers, or while he was in the New Well, at first he started in a group called Limlifter. Sorry, not Limlifter. Sorry, Superconductor. Okay. That was his first Vancouver group. They're okay. sort of a mid-90s, grunge-inspired, grunge kind of grunge-pop-inspired band. But, do you, hey, you know something else? Here's a little mm-hmm. Sneaky Dragon connection between mm-hmm. uh, between Sneaky Dragon and Carl Newman, which is okay. that he went to school with Jason Dedrick, what? our regular... Boxing Day guest. Well, that's also a family connection because he's, he's your cousin. He's my cousin. That's right. Hence yeah. the same last name. It's the same last name. Exactly. And so uh, he went to school with, with AC Newman, with Carl Newman. Hmm. And we were talking about it. And he said, yeah, it's funny. My friend taught him his first chords because he did not know how to play guitar. Oh. And so a friend, and he says, I always think of him as like not a great musician. Hmm. You know, like to me, he's just like Carl who didn't know how to play guitar. <laughs> and yet here he is. <laughs> <laughs> this guy who's very musical and yeah. can really write like really great hooks and really has this really yeah. oh, great yeah. understanding of pop music. Mostly because he's a real student of music. Like he's a guy who, you know, was like one of those people kind of like me who was listening to Emmett Rhodes before anyone else knew who Emmett Rhodes was, right. generally speaking, you know, was listening to the listening to the Left Bank and kind of drawing from those kind of more obscure corners of, of 60s, 70s pop music mm-hmm. and took those influences into his sound. And he, after he... Uh, when he he left Superconductor and he joined a band called Zampano, which was named after Jason Zampano, the piano player in the group. And they had they did a couple albums for the sub pop label. And we'll hear one of their songs in one of the later mixes. And I think they're a pretty good group, actually. But they didn't set the world on fire with sub pop. And Carl, being a Vancouverite, was diversified. He was in a couple different bands, not just mm-hmm. in Zampano. He was playing in other groups. And one of those groups that he played in was the New Pornographers, which was kind of like a local supergroup. It contained, had Nico Case, mm-hmm. who was in Meow and mm-hmm. had been a member of Cub. Mm-hmm. It had Kurt Dahl, who mm-hmm. was uh, played drums in Limlifter, which was another popular Vancouver band. So everyone played and in... Dan Behar. Dan Behar. Of Destroyer. Of Destroyer, who Destroyer was kind of new at the time. It was basically just him and his acoustic guitar at this point, but still was a band in quotation marks. And yeah, it, although Dan Behar hadn't joined the band at this point, he was... He was uh, right away he joined after um carl asked him if he could oh, okay, right. adapt r- do arrangements of some of dan's songs for for the first new pornographers album oh right we had talked about that. and when dan behar heard those he went oh this is really cool you've done it with my with my broken down out of tune strumming on a on a cassette deck <laughs> and turned it into an actual song it's really great 
I should maybe do that with my music and not just be happy with the fact that I'm, you know, just kind of playing a song which sounds like I'm playing from the bottom of a bucket. Um, so, so all these people who are from all these different bands suddenly found themselves in a super popular group in the new pornographers. So in some cases, like with some Pano and Limblifter and stuff like that, those bands just went by the wayside because suddenly their key members were too their members were too busy with this suddenly big band. You know, like any of those bands could have hit. You know what I mean? Like if Zampano yeah. had taken off, mm-hmm. there'd be no new pornographers yeah. because he would have been too busy with Zampano. But because new pornographers took off, Zampano suffered. Zampano went out the window. And and then, uh, so Zampano, for instance, have never officially broken up. Okay. They're still considered to be a band. Right. But they have not released an album in over 20 years. Are they touring or? No, no. Okay. They don't exist other than the fact that they have not broken up. Right. They're on a very long hiatus. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Like One Direction. Like One Direction. Yes. Permanent hiatus. <laughs> so like fellow bandmates, Dan Behar and Nico Case, mm-hmm. AC Newman wanted to have his own solo career. Right. Because Nico Case has a very popular solo career. She does have a very popular solo career. And so does Dan Behar with, with Destroyer. Yes. At this time, not so popular. But by the time you get to nowadays, where he's had albums that have kind of touched the lower reaches of like the british charts and stuff like that okay yeah but you know. yeah nico case is very popular in the states mm. which again is something the gold standard for yeah. being popular at, to a sure. canadian sure where she's like someone that you hear she's american but yeah yeah she's american but <clears throat> you know she was living, i will always think she's of living her as, illegally in canada i will always think of her as someone who is in the new pornographers yeah canadian band. yeah canadian band exactly but you know she's uh, she plays at festivals and i hear you know People on podcasts mention her as someone that they like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Randos talk about it. Nico Case. <laughs> you just think, man, she was once here in town in a band called Meow. Yes. Well, I don't think about Meow. I think about the new pornographers. Oh, okay. But yes, I get you. I saw, I saw Meow a couple times. Hmm. I don't know if I ever saw her play with Cub. I saw Cub a few times, but I don't think mm-hmm. I saw her in that iteration of Cub. So she was in Cub and Meow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Also, her name, Nico, Nico means cat. Does it? Yes, in Japanese. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Is she Japanese? Uh, I don't know. I don't okay. know. So yeah, so AC Newman uh, started his own career. So he recorded this album, The Slow Wonder, which uh, had a kind of a, a band that he put together with the idea that, and I know this because I'm a, an acquaintance of one of the guys in the band, uh, Shane Nelkin, who played piano on the album, uh, who but plays piano and guitar. And the reason that, that, Carl, that Newman put together the band the way he did was because he wanted guys who are multi-instrumentalists so they could have like a really tight touring group and not have to have too many auxiliary members to, to reproduce the album sound. But the album itself is mostly Carl Newman by himself with a few people helping out on some instruments. But anyway, it's a good song. What's wrong? Um, I looked up Nico because yeah. her name is spelled N-E-K-O. Yeah. Which I wanted to make sure that I was right that that does mean cat in Japanese, and it does. But when I looked up Nico, it took me to cat, and there's this terrible, terrible meet a life-size cat close up, and it's like very uncanny valley. Oh, yeah. It's like the cat from uh, Captain Marvel. <laughs> anyway. All right. So let's uh, let's move on. Let's move on, Mary. Like uh, all the members of the new pornographers did from their old bands. Let's move on. To the Baynard Lakes. Okay, let's hear the Baynard Lakes. Spelled I, the best Nard Lakes. Spelled, spelled as the best Nard Lakes, mm-hmm. which is a, a lake in uh, Saskatchewan. Oh, I did not know but that. The band does not hail from Saskatchewan. Oh, interesting. The band is from Montreal, Quebec. Okay. And this, this song is our is, second Montreal band. This is our second Montreal okay. Montreal band. This Montreal. is a, this is a, a song called For Agent Thirteen from their very good album. The Besnard Lakes are the Dark Horse from 2007. Let's give it a listen to 4Agent 13. This song is a slow burner, everyone. Slow burn. Mm-hmm. 
right, so that was... I felt kind of loud. That was uh, the Baynard Lakes with uh, For Agent 13 mm-hmm. from their wonderful 2007, I believe I said. 2007? 2006. 2007 album. Oh. The Baynard Lakes are the Dark Horse, mm-hmm. which uh, is a great album. And once again, from Montreal, Quebec. Yes. Montreal. Montreal, <laughs> Quebec. Which we can say that because uh, Canada is a bilingual country. Sure is. So we, we know how to speak both in en français mm-hmm. as well as en anglais. Yes. And I doubt this band, though, is very much en français. They probably are the part of the Anglo population of Montreal, but probably. that's okay. Um, like the Deers, who also hail from Montreal, Quebec, mm-hmm. Baynard Lakes are led by a husband and wife team. Oh. A guy named Jace Lasek. Mm-hmm. And Olga Gorius. Yes, Jace Lasik of the Lasik Fortune. That's right. He invented, uh, shoot, boot boot laces. No, Lasik eye surgery. Oh, it's spelled differently. Oh. L-E-S-E-K. So it's closer to, well, it doesn't matter. It's fine. (laughs) So fine joke, Mir. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sorry I stepped on it. That's all right. I expected at this point. (laughs) The Everyone everyone else out there got it. I'm sure they did. They they went, no, his name's spelled differently. (laughs) I don't know what you're thinking about. It's L-E-S-E-K, Mary. God. Now, once again, like I say, it's led by a husband wife team. And like any other band I'm going to mention on this in this group, besides Sloan, who wisely split their, their royalties between all the members, mm-hmm. all the contributing members. I mean, this band, Sloan's unusual, though, because all the band members write songs and all the band members have had singles yes. from their songs yep. on their albums. So, you know, it's a bit of a different situation for, say, a husband wife team like this, where they are producing many of the songs by themselves, they're creating, mm-hmm. they're writing, and they're writing all the songs, and they're producing yeah. the songs, and they're like bringing in other people to do some instrumentation. That's right, and right? that's exactly like the case. AC Newman too, right? Where yeah. he, it's him who, like, he has written the songs. He's it's his doing vision. most of yeah. the work, but yeah. then he's just bringing in uh, like uh, session, basically session musicians, yeah. to come in and just help him fill out the sound. That's right, right? That's right. It's a bit different. So, um, Jace, Jace Lasek, along with a couple other partners, runs a, a, a recording studio in Montreal. Mm, cool. In Montreal called uh, Breaking Wind Studios. No, that's not what it's called, actually. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't think of the name off the top of my head, so I decided to uh, make up my own name for it. <laughs> what a stupid name. What a terrible, terrible name, What are they thinking? <laughs> can't believe it. I think that kind of thinking wouldn't lead to such great music. It's actually called Break Glass Studios. Uh, you can see why I got mixed up. No, nope. can totally see. Cannot see. You can see where I, where one became the other, uh, and they've produced a lot of like kind of well-known Montreal bands. They produced a lot of well-known Montreal bands at the studio, and they were not a well-known Montreal band at, at the time. They Do were they kind produce of like, the Deers? Um, I don't think they produced the Deers okay. at their studio, but they did produce. Oh, they did produce the Deers. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, they produced the produced Stars there. Godspeed to Black Emperor recorded there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of like a lot of groups that were kind of a part of the scene. Wolf Parade, a lot of the Montreal bands. Local Rabbits, no, not Local Rabbits. So. Yeah, different, uh, different time, different time period. So, so because he owned a studio, what he would do is that when bands finished recording for the day mm-hmm. and left, he would like use their recording time that they weren't they hadn't used, and he would oh. work on the albums. Right. So he wasn't like he wasn't using his own time. He wasn't taking up studio time. He was just kind of borrowing. It's kind of like people who have made films by by taking the unused uh, reels from from movies movie shoots where the film reels reels aren't used. They'll just kind of take them because they're just going to get thrown out anyway. Right. And then they'll just 
you know, kind of splice them together and make their own film that they can film their own film on. Cool. This is kind of what he did, but on the musical terms, right? He's just st- st- not stealing, but just bo- taking the time that's not been used yeah. by bands and and doing some recording in that time period. And although there are other band members, you know, there's drummer and and people like that. The band is essentially Jace Lasek and his wife Olga Gorius, who plays bass and keyboard instruments and does vocals as well. And so you can hear her voice in this song in the background. You can also hear her playing that fantastic glockenspiel part in the song, which is, I don't know, it just kills me that it's yeah. there. It's kind of like the, I think it's a Celeste that's used in a Egan the Stooges song on uh, Raw Power, um, Penetration, I think, where it's just got this kind of weird little kind of chime-like bell part in this song. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of grinding guitars and stuff like that. And the same in this song where you've got the band, this band that I think, you know, has influenced by kind of shoegazing bands of the 90s and kind of post-rock bands like Tortoise and stuff like that. But if you're kind of wondering, like, what's the next step that you can do with these bands? Well, this they're kind of like, here's the answer. Well, you just kind of take it in this very kind of huge sort of operatic or very like open, you know, almost like soundtrack Vista songs, you know, where it's just really big and and, and has that kind of, uh, has a kind of grunge dynamic to it, but not, it's not like, but doesn't um, exploit it in a term of volume, but just in terms of like, like kind of, like kind of uh, different levels of excitement in the song. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and then it also has an element of the Beach Boys to me in it as well. Like there's that part in the song where it kind of gets quiet and then the guitar comes in and it's just that kind of very almost plucked strings. Hmm. And it really does sound like kind of like a mid, mid, mid sixties Beach Boys song. And also the falsetto. That Jace Lasek sings in is also very reminiscent of the Beach Boys. Uh, Brian Wilson uh, sang, you know, in the in the height of the Beach Boys before he blew his voice with cocaine and smoking. The height of the Beach Boys had that uh, that beautiful, you know, falsetto that kind of sailed acro- uh, over top of all the all the songs. And it's the same with, with this band. Uh, this is a really good album, I think. This is not the only good song. It's, there's another song from it that will come later on on someone else's mixtape. And there's a couple other wonderful songs on it. I do recommend this album to people if they liked this song. And I think it's very good. And I think if you didn't like it the first time, you should listen to it again. And then you will say, my gosh, Dave, you're right. Now, we didn't yes. see this group. Although, Oop. I do think Disaster yeah. is a better song. It's mm-hmm. on the same album. Yep. It's a very good song. Well, people can decide in their own time. Yes. but I just think that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I can see your point. But I pref- I think the song is more like powerful. The song really like emotionally like okay. gets me. Emotionally yep. gets me. I can see that. And uh, we, I didn't see them open for Sloan. But I did see them live playing at a small club here in Vancouver. Which one? Uh, Richards on Richards. Okay. Which was a really small club. It had a very small floor space to stand on and see the band. And then there was like a kind of awkwardly high above the stage uh, seating, which is how we saw it. I don't think your mom was too keen to see this band at the time. I'm not too sure why. Or maybe she was just tired that night. Hmm. But instead of standing down below and watching the band, which we most commonly did, we sat above and looked down on them. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's good for your ego to look down on people, but it's not a really great perch to, to listen to music, I think. It would have been more fun to be right in front of them. Right. But what what was interesting was like a band that's basically just a husband and wife in the studio mm-hmm. live. Well, at the time they had a, a another woman in the band who played keyboards and did and did the string arrangements and horn arrangements for their songs. Okay. So for instance, on Disaster, where there's like cello and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like she did the arrangements for those. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, to cool. The, you know, and a few other songs on the album. And so she was in the group at this time. So she was playing keyboards. Olga Goris was playing bass. Jace Lasek was singing, playing guitar. Then they had two other guitar players and a bass player. Hmm. Oh, no, sorry, not a bass player because that was Olga Goris. They had two other guitar players. Okay. So they had three guitar players to oh, okay. fill out their sound, wow. what they needed, which is crazy to me. Yeah. And then a drummer as well. And yeah, and they were like 
pushing and pulling and hitting all these pedals and effects and stuff like that through all the songs. It's like, this is really elaborate. I didn't realize how elaborate this music was until you're watching them play it live. Yeah. And they finished the show by playing a song off of Rumors. Hmm. And I can't Weird. remember what song it was now. It might have been, um, I think it was that song, You Make Love and Fun. Uh, you know that one? No. Uh, you, if I played it for you, you'd know it. I first. probably would, yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't know Fleetwood back very well, mm. but... Uh, if I played it for you, no. But uh, yeah, so it, the drummer sang it as well. Just to, oh, okay. add, just to add to the confusion. But that was, that sure. was the final song of, the, of their encore. Interesting. Yeah, it was kind of fun. It was a really good show. And what was interesting, I was looking at their music. Uh, I bought the CD there at, mm-hmm. the, at the concert because I couldn't find it anywhere else at the time. And This, I, this album? Yeah. Okay. And it was sold to me by Jace Lasek. Cool. Like himself because he, he came out and he's like, he looked down and he went, oh, these are the American prices. So he took all the prices away and he even yep. put them up a little bit to Canadian prices. Uh, which I was kind of mad about. <laughs> but, and I didn't like their shirt very much because it was just the album cover on a black shirt with this kind of horse in flames, which I hmm. I didn't really like as an album cover and I didn't like as a shirt design. I just liked the shirt design even less. But I did buy the CD from him. and uh, I should have got him to sign it, actually, but I didn't, too shy. And I didn't say to him, I really like that. The one song I heard from your album, Disaster, I thought was great. I didn't say that to him. Yeah. I should have. Because who doesn't want to hear that? Yeah. I like that one song so far. Hope I like the rest. <laughs> Hope you like the rest. Okay, everyone, let's move on to our next song. This is a band from Guelph, Ontario. Mary, from Guelph? Can you guess who this band is, Mary? They're from Guelph. Um, We've no. played them before on the show. Is it the Super Friends? It's not the Super Friends or Halifax band. Oh, I thought they were. Is it... We've played this band before. We played one song from them. Okay. And uh, that song is kind of hard rocking. Okay. And it has the word shine in its title. Shine? Yeah. Oh, is it the Shins? No, they're not Canadian bands. <laughs> okay, everyone. Who, who is it? This is uh, this is the Constantines. Oh, the Constantines from their album "Shine a Light." I didn't know the Constantines were Canadian. We had this exact same conversation last time we played the Constantines, <laughs> where I was like, "I didn't know they were Canadian." Okay. <laughs> this is not this is not "Shine a Light." That was "Shine a Light" we played last time, but this time we're going to play "Young Lions" from their really good sophomore album "Shine a Light." Here we go.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's show. Wait a second. Wait. Wait, we've already been... We just listened to Young Lions. Yeah, we just listened to Young Lions. Sorry, I thought we were starting the show for the first time. I forgot that I've been talking for four hours. We got got caught in a conversation about John Galt. You guys don't know how much editing I do in this show, just to get it down to uh, a measly two hours (laughs) from our six-hour usual finish. (laughs) So, Mary. Yes. This band, which do you think is American? Why do you think they're American? I thought they were British. You thought they were British? Yeah. Wow. Well, they're Canadian, which is sort of half British. Yeah, exactly. We have the best of Britain in us. It's true. We left the worst of it behind. We sure left that did. on the shores of England. We said, get rid of that. Yeah. We're not bringing that with us. Yeah. We're not bringing those those British things with us. We did say that. We, did, we brought only the good things here. Yes. Us and brown sauce. Those are the, uh, the. I think we the left brown thing. sauce there. I don't think so, Mary. I think you can still pretty get brown sure we sauce. You don't left brown you sauce. Don't know about that. I think we still. I'm pretty nope. positive. I think if you look in our fridge, you'll in, find no, some. Not in, not in mine. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone, uh, that was the Constantines with Young Lions from their 2008 album, I believe. I said, "Shine a light." I yes. can look back a page, but I'm not going to. So yeah, I'm just going to keep fair. on guessing. If you, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I can live with that, or I can cut it out and pretend that I was right. You could just listen to what he said before that's the song exactly started right because that was accurate <laughs> that was perfectly accurate but uh yes they are an interesting group this album is fantastic i think and yet i'm not a huge fan of their first album which is very punky is it called the constantines it's just called the constantines yeah and i'm not i haven't heard their third album tournament of hearts and i'd like to hear it i just have to find out one of these centuries but i have their next album after that and i uh, think it's a little bit of a wash i don't think it's very tuneful hmm. don't think it has much going it's a lot of there's songs on it it's got them playing songs and singing okay but can the i songs f- are not good are there recognizable melodies that i want to hum and sing mm. along with not really oh that's unfortunate too, it's too bad yeah this song has i think some very good songs the album, yeah, it's very good. This songs. one, mainly "Shine a Light" and "Shine a Light's Lines. Great" and "Insectivora" is also good. I don't know that one. Yeah, it's a good song, but yes, these are these are all good songs, and yeah, uh, from they hail from Guelph, Ontario. We've talked about them before, so I'm not going to go into them too much. We, they hail from Guelph, Ontario, which is a rural, a rural, but also a university town in, in Ontario, in southern Ontario, and. Which... Hmm? Is apparently consistently rated one of the best places to live in Canada, mm-hmm. and it has a very low unemployment rate. And also the home of the of the commune from Atlas Shrugged, apparently, which I did not realize. No, it was started by John Galt, who, who was the, is the founder of the commune. He was in Atlas no, Shrugged, he knows. was the founder of or he was the superintendent of the Cana- of the Canada Company, mm-hmm. also known as Atlas Shrugged. No, and then there's also a character in Atlas Shrugged n- named John Galt. Yeah, I do not know if they're the same person. Well. I think all signs. Let me just look at my my magic eight ball. Just gonna roll it here for a second. Uh huh. I think you shake it. I don't think you roll it. Okay. Well, I already rolled it, okay. and it says all signs point to yes. Hmm. So I don't know where. Okay. Magic eight ball agrees with me. All right. Well, I don't know what to say to that because it's obviously true. <laughs> yeah, they're very good. I I interviewed Brian Webb, the lead singer guitarist for this group, and he was a very nice fellow. He taught me the word rat drifting or the phrase rat drifting. Oh, I love that phrase. Yeah, me too. Which is the practice of of cutting off of busy main roads to to um, use uh, less suburban less or traveled rural su- roads. suburban or rural roads. Yes, and increase traffic in obnoxious ways in other parts of other parts of the cities or towns where you live. And it's called rat drifting in Ontario, which I really like that term. I have. I use it regularly, mm-hmm. and now my boyfriend does too. Cool. And he was a big fan of SCTV. We somehow got onto that when we were talking together, which I really, I really appreciated that part of him. And then uh, he loved the replacements, 
which he discovered their album, uh, Tim. Was it Tim or they went after that? Anyway. Tom. It was Tom. Not Tom. But anyway, Tim, or maybe <laughs> Pleased to Meet Me. I think it was Pleased to Meet Me that he that he really appreciated. He got that from a cutout bin or something and really liked it. And uh, and it kind of had shaped their band, as well as getting an organ player. An organ, a guy named Will Kidman joined them on organ and really changed their sound for this album. But um, and it was really nice. And what's funny is that he sounded nothing like the, his singing voice. Like if you listen to his on the song, it sounds like he, when if you listen to him, he could barely like the horse's voice of all time, he could yes. barely speak. But no, he, he just talked like a like a normal person, normal dude, and yeah. then gets on stage and I never saw him on stage so because I only got to interview him. I was, my uh, my wife and her friend went and got the uh, comps for the show. I got the the job of interviewing and, and transcribing this interview. So wait, you didn't get to see him? I didn't get to see him play. That's no. weird. I've never seen the Constantines. So I'm kind of sad about that. I wish I would like, wish I'd seen them. Anywho, let's go on to our next song which is by a group that we were talking about earlier in a roundabout way. Mary was saying that the Sloan were one of the, were the biggest band in Canada that weren't popular in the States. But no, this band is the biggest band in Canada. Let's see. That's not popular in the States. This band mm-hmm. is the Tragically Hip. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Are the, were the Tragically Hip not popular in the States? Not at all. Oh, dang. It's like here in Tragically Ca- Hip are so basic. They're so basic, but so big in Canada. I mean, yeah, they, they, are. they could sell it like three nights at, at Rogers Arena here, yeah. you know, that's, I mean, it's not huge. It's a 16,000 seater. So 16, that's so what's 48,000 yeah. people that see them over three nights. But, you know, that's pretty good for Canada. And, yeah, well, pretty good for, yeah, one city. And, yeah. And, um, but that's just not, that's just one city. Like yeah. they could do that in lots of cities. And then they would also regularly tour in rural areas as well, mm-hmm. which, which people who live in rural areas love those sort of musicians. Like, like a guy like Burton Cummings, who used to play in the Guess Who and then went on to a solo career as Burton Cummings, mm-hmm. like he is beloved in the interior of British Columbia, which is what we call places that aren't in the lower mainland, aren't in the kind of mean, uh, populate, populate, populous areas here in in uh, BC. So BC, we have the interior, which kind of encompasses the Okanagan, the Kootenays, mm-hmm. and other areas. The north, the north, and Peace River, Peace River region. That's right. And so I, we could keep naming them, but it's not not important. But uh, <laughs> But yeah, so someone like Burton Cummings would not just come to Vancouver and like play one night at GM Place. He would like go to Merritt. Merritt. He would go to Kelowna. He would mm-hmm. go to Kamloops. He would go to these smaller areas. Mm-hmm. It's still populous, but he would go to these smaller areas and perform. Fort St. John. Perform there. Prince and George. People and so people love those guys. Like the rest of us are just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Burton Cummings. Pff, Who? Some old guy playing from an old some old band. Yeah. But they're just like, oh man, I love Burton Cummings. You know, he would come and play every year. You'd be like, oh, okay. I guess people appreciate that, though, because <laughs> bands don't. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like when I interviewed Boy, uh, the guy from Boy, and he was on a tour with a big band. I can't remember who it was now. And they were just, they had already done like a major tour of Canada, like had gone to Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, you know, Toronto, places like that. But then they were doing it again, but they were going to smaller towns. So instead of playing in Vancouver, they were playing in Abbotsford. Hmm. I can't remember who it was now for the life of me. It's a pretty cool idea, though. It is a cool idea, yeah. And so they didn't have Boy for the larger one, but for the smaller one, they had Boy opening for them, hmm. which is good for them. Anyway, this is Tragically Hip. This song is called The Head by a Century. At this time, it wasn't very... When I put this on this mix, it wasn't very well known. Now it is used for the theme song of a TV show on Netflix. But at the what time... TV show? Uh, Anne with an E. Oh, It has right, a song as right, its opening right, credits. Right, right. That's fair, because I hmm? personally... Yeah. believe that this is their only good song, the Tragically Hip. They have other good songs, but let's listen to... I've not heard them. This song from 1996 from their album Trouble in the Hen House. Here is Head by Century. A very good song. Let's go. Mm-hmm. 
listen to our thoughts with illusions of someday cast in a golden light no dress rehearsal this is our Was, uh, that was a head by a century, Mayor. What, what do you think of that song? I like it a lot. Yeah. It's a good song. It's a very good song. And once again, a nice use of dynamics that it starts off kind of acoustic and mm-hmm. and then picks up its pace as it goes and, and really kind of finishes on a big note, big sound, which I enjoy. I like that kind of use of uh, song dynamics. Not in that sort of obnoxious Nirvana grunge way, but in a kind of more uh, subtle way. I do, I do enjoy that sort of dynamic in songs. But uh, yeah, it's great. I think this is... This is from their, my favorite period of this group. I have, I have a real love-hate relationship with the Tragically, with hip. The tragically mm-hmm. hip because they're basically the band of Canadian lunkheads. True. Which was Russia's place in the, in the 80s, the late 70s, early 80s. That was Russia's role in Canada. Right. They were the band of lunkheads. 
But then they they gave way. What are you laughing at? Just lunkheads. It's yeah. just a good term. Thank you. But then they gave way to the Tragically Hip, who then became the official band of lunkheads in Canada. So mm-hmm. if you know a guy, if you know a beer-swollen dude who likes to ride a, a snowmobile mm-hmm. badly. Yes. And drinks a lot of drinks bud. a lot of beer. Loves loves his hockey. Drinks yeah. a lot of Molson. Oh yeah, sorry, a lot of Molson Canadian. Drinks a lot of Molson Canadian. Loves hockey. Loves his hockey. His he's got like four sons, and they all play hockey. They all play hockey, and they're all named Gord. <laughs> they're all named Gord. <laughs> then you you are you are meeting firsthand a tragically hip fan. Now and we're just talking about our neighbors. And Let's they be real. oh yeah, and they well I lived I grew up, not grew up but I lived when we first moved to Aldergrove we we moved into a townhouse. <laughs> Townhouse complex, and in th- that place you lived, you know, hip to hip to hip with your neighbors. Yep. And we had a guy next door who just loved to blow his doors off with a tragically hip, like blow it high dough all the time. New Orleans is sinking every day. <laughs> was his name Gord? And his name I don't know if his name was Gord, but probably was. Could have been Doug. Could have been. Could have been Doug. Might have been Doug actually. Gary. Yep. Any one of those names. Yeah. And Mark. No offense to my uncle Mark, who. <laughs> Does like Molson Canadian. Does like Molson Canadian. Does drive an ATV and also does likes drink, the tragically hip. Yeah, does like the tragically hip. Yeah. Because sure. those bands are there, mm-hmm. and so you like them. Yeah. You don't have to even think about them. No, they're just you like them because you hear them. Yeah. And you hear them because they're on. Yeah, and you know? so you go, ah, this band is so great. So my feeling about this band was that I hated them for the longest time. Like if you said to me, "What do you think of the tragically hip, Dave?" I would run screaming from you and jump into a bat of boiling acid to avoid the conversation. I would turn and spit on the ground as if it was a gypsy curse you had just laid upon me. You would throw the salt over your shoulder. I I would throw the salt shaker over my shoulder just in case that wasn't enough. (laughs) Just in case the the lead singer of Tragically Stiff was standing behind you. In case Gord Downey. Yes, Gord Downey, the lead singer of the Tragically Hip was standing behind me. It's a very Canadian name, huh? This band is so Canadian. There's two Gords in the band. That's so Canadian there. (laughs) So I heard the song though on the radio one day. Mm Mm-hmm. On tra- just definitely not the opera on CBC. They played this song just when I was driving home one day after work, and I didn't know it was. Tr- Wait. Yeah. Do people we we reference the CBC a lot? Do people who listen to this podcast know what the CBC is? Who cares? We talked about that. They can find out. Okay, it's Canadian Broadcasting Company Co- or corporation. corporation. Yes, it's a cor- corporation of. It is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. It is. Uh, it started about the same time as the BBC, mm. the British Broadcasting Service, mm-hmm. or a corporation as well, and it. We've had the same mandate, which is to provide information and entertainment to the people of Canada uh, in a way that reflected the values of Canadians. Mm-hmm. And there is BB, there was uh, CBC One and CBC AM and CBC and CBC FM. Mm-hmm. CBC AM was your news and entertainment station, and yes. CBC FM was your was your music station. It was mostly right. classical music. That's yes. when it was at its greatest. Was it played as a young man mm-hmm. who was looking for something that was different? There it was for you. Yeah. It had CBC FM. Mm-hmm. You had your classical music during the day. Yep. You could listen to Bob Kerr on organ Wednesdays when he would play all organ music for an hour. <laughs> it was unbelievable. You could listen to RSVP where people, mm-hmm. phony people would request the craziest classical music because they needed ringers to make it less samey because people were requesting the same effing songs every day. <laughs> They're but, like, oh, that one from Bugs Bunny. Yes, that's right. That's what they wanted. The, the the ring cycle. We want all three operas in a row, please. <laughs> do the do the three day ring cycle for us in one afternoon. Then you you know of course yes you did get some like blah 
blah, very blah music in the in the drive time. Yes, that's no it was no pur- no purpose listening to it. But there was plenty of like great classical music. Plus, they had their jazz shows. They play a lot of jazz. I know this because my partner's parents yeah exclusively listen to CBC. Okay, they are not they they are people who who like things because it's on. Yeah, you know that's their thing. But what is on for them is CBC. Yeah, yeah. They listen to a lot of CBC. <laughs> And I can't anymore. a lot of jazz. I, I can't anymore. I used to love CBC, but then they stopped They stopped playing s- classical music. And it yeah. stopped being smart as well. But unfortunately, due to the fact that um, this kind of idea came that that was elitist, which it hmm. was, <laughs> which it was. Yeah. But you know what? In this world, there is so little elitist stuff for people who are elitist like me. <laughs> for someone like me as a teenager growing up with lunkheads, yeah. having to listen to Tragically Hip mm-hmm. or the equivalent of... Rush. Yeah. It was such a relief to have elitist things like a university radio station yeah. or the CBC mm-hmm. that played music that I'd never heard in my life before. And some of it was good and some of it wasn't that interesting, but it was it's eye-opening. all around. It's new. Yeah, it's new and eye-opening. And you know, now it just plays like the regular garbage everyone else is playing. Yeah. So And a lot of jazz. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of like light jazz. Yes, very. Not yeah, not, like light jazz. You're not going to be listening to like a lot of like late John Coltrane or or yeah. or, or uh, you know whoever. Yeah, no, like it's all stuff that just kind of sounds the same. Yeah, yeah. Just... Essentially, elevator music. <laughs> yeah. So you want to hear that? Apparently, Duncan's dad. Because mm. that's what he listens to. Yes. One of the interesting things about the tragical hip that if you look you look up about them, which I did because I was going to talk about them, and I am sort of I have a passing familiarity with them, but mostly one of annoyance. Uh, is that nothing ever mentions where their name came from, hmm. which is so clearly out of a Elvis Costello song. Oh, like I don't understand why people doesn't say they took their name from the Elvis Costello song "Tom Cryer" mm-hmm. from his 1979 album "Imperial" or 81. Actually, I can't remember when that album came out. Sorry, everyone, I'm dumb. But I think it's from actually from 81 or so. 81. You're not dumb. 82. No, I'm not dumb. You're not dumb because you can't remember the exact year of this Elvis Costello album no one's ever heard of. <laughs> Wait, people have heard of Imperial I Bedroom. I don't think so. It was a big album. It was produced by Jeff Emmerich. Dad, who... no one on the planet knows who Jeff Emmerich is and no one on the planet knows who Elvis Costello is. Dear, people on the planet know who Jeff Emmerich is because he produced the Beatles during their pomp. Their pomp period. No. No Sergeant one knows that. Revolver, Sergeant Pepper. Dad, you have Magical a really, really weird concept, like, concept of what people know. Yeah, everyone knows that. No, Dad, no one knows that. No one knows who produced the Beatles. Everyone knows. He didn't produce them. He was the engineer. No one knows what an engineer for a band does, <laughs> let alone who the engineer for the ba- for the Beatles was. He drives the train for them. Dad, yes. lots of people can't even name all the Beatles. Yeah, I think people can name the Beatles. Are you saying you can't name the Beatles? No, I can, but I'm saying lots of people can't. I think most people can name the Beatles. I don't think most people can. You mean first and last name or just their first names? I'm saying first and last name. Okay, less can name their first lab, but I think almost everyone can name them name their first names with no John Paul George and Ringo. I mean, I think, well, yeah, I think that if you, I think that that's because everyone was Ringo. Yeah. And then the other three names, if you were to just guess three generic <laughs> men's names from that time, you would get pretty close. You'd, you'd get pretty close. You'd get probably two out of three. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, so yeah, it's just weird to me that no one ever goes, where did they get the name, the tragical hit from? From this song by Elvis Costello, which... I just thought it was weird. Mm-hmm. I'm the town crier. Everyone knows. I'm the town crier. Everybody knows. He's very sad. That's and he says tragically hip in that? Yeah. At the end. Something or other and tragically hip. Yeah. Hmm. It's a good lyric. It is. What are you looking up? The lyrics to that song. Oh, okay. Town crier from Imperial Bedroom. Elvis <laughs> Costello. Um, yeah. So Gord Downey, the lead singer of the band, 
unfortunately in 2015 was diagnosed with uh, brain cancer and the band did like this massive 1982 1982 oh, i was gonna say that after i said 81 and i was gonna, like maybe 82 because 81 would have been trust yeah because yes because get happy is 80 81 is trust 82 is imperial bedroom then you get almost blue which is 83 and then 84 is uh, punch the clock and then 85 is goodbye cruel world then 86 is imperial bedroom 86 no 82 is imperial i'm oh, sorry uh 86 is uh king of america i meant to say okay you can stop now and also blood and chocolate came out that year okay you can stop listing on this castello he yes, says yes. it at the end of the chorus yes that's right yeah what is the what's what? the whole line sorry he's do, do you want to hear the chorus or just the line you can say the chorus he says, I'm the town crier and everybody knows. Yeah. I'm a little down with a lifetime to go. Maybe you don't believe my heart is in the right place. Why don't you take a good look at my face? Other boys use the splendor of their trembling lip. They're so teddy bear tender and tragically hip. There you go. It's a good, good lyric. Yep. From Elvis there. It is. He's a good lyricist. If only I paid oh. attention to lyrics. Hey, did you know that this was produced by Jeff Emmerich, who produced the Beatles? <laughs> yes, I did know I that. I mean, he was an engineer for the Beatles. He, yeah, he was an engineer for the Beatles, right? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so does everyone. Yeah, it's a well-known thing about Jeff Emmerich no, that he not. he brought a whole new sound to the Beatles. Yeah, but no one knows who Jeff Emmerich is. They know that he brought a whole new sound to the Beatles, Mary. Everyone knows that. No, they don't. And also that he drove a train. He's an engineer. <laughs> I think that's a different kind of engineer, but if you say so. What do I know? I don't know anything about Jeff Emmerich. Sorry. <laughs> why are you why are you doubting me? So anyway, Cord Downey got. <laughs> Brain Cancer, the band did this huge, like, tour of Canada. Yeah. Every, everyone sobbed for, like, two years. Oh, my God. It was, like, on every, every single person's Facebook page was, like, whoa, the Tragically <laughs> Hip are my favorite band. It was, like, who cares? <laughs> like, I'm sorry that this one guy is dying. Yeah. Like, I feel really bad about that. Yeah. It's, like, a that's a bummer. Yeah. Was, but come on, him. it doesn't mean it sucks for him. But like, it doesn't mean that the Tragically Hip's your favorite band. Yeah, I've yeah. never heard you mention them before. Well, all right, all right, yeah, so I it guess was, it was like a national morning. There's a there's like a video of like the Prime Minister of Canada, like just walking down the street in uh, wherever some <laughs> small town like Hamilton or whatever, Ontario. Not a small town, it's a city. But anyway, walking down the street in this like just by himself, going to the concert to the final concert of the group as they played at the. Their final, their Ugh. very final uh, two-night stand at, you know, the Sky Dome in Toronto or whatever. And then, um, yeah, and they passed away and then the band retired the name in 2018. Hmm. So now all of the Elvis Costello albums with the town crier, it's a blank spot on the record because they can't say Tragically Hip now because they retired the name. No. That's... <laughs> <laughs> I like that you looked. I was like, you looked all concerned. What do you mean? No, I was just trying. I was confused. I was like, how would that? <laughs> they retired the name. Alex Costello, please take this name that I we thought, just took from you off of your record. I thought you were gonna say like yeah. they trademarked it, so no, no one else could ever use it. I was That's like, right. Um... <laughs> That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because like, uh, it's now what you say is uh, the characters from Supernatural. Castiel and uh, what's the brother? Sam and Dean. Dean, Dean and Castiel are tragically ship because hmm. they never, they never will be shipped together in that show, guys. Sure won't. Get, get, get off of your, get over yourselves. <laughs> Everyone who's mad about that. Ugh, I know. All right, it's the worst. That was really obscure, everyone. See, that was more obscure than Jeff Emmerich, yeah. I think. I think I do think Destiel ship bring up Destiel shipping on our music podcast <laughs> is more obscure than um, bring up Jeff than, Emmerich than Jeff Emmerich. Yeah, I think most people who listen to the show know who Jeff Emmerich is. Yeah, most people don't know about Tumblr and their obsession with Destiel, <laughs> the ship that will never happen. 
<laughs> Anyhow, so let's get to our last song of this episode, everyone. This is uh, this was me being lazy. I th- I thought to myself, you know what? I got to do two CDs for this guy. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna put a nine minute song on the CD. <laughs> no, that's not where I put it on. I just love this song so much that I I just felt like someone had to get it, and this person was the one who 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 got it. Sorry, sorry, Dylan. If and sorry, Dylan, if you didn't enjoy it because it's nine minutes long, so it's it's nine minutes of non enjoyment if you didn't like it. But uh, this is Destroyer. Yes, one of my all time favorite groups. Mm-hmm. I I love 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 the period from nineteen sorry basically from two thousand mm-hmm. to two thousand six. Mm. I love Destroyer. After this period, I'm, I go off of them a bit. I think they just changed their sound into into a direction I'm not too fond of, hmm. i.e. very slow songs that aren't that melodic. Right. And I'm a melody guy. Yes. And that uh, is just a fact that I'm, you know, Mr. Melody. So if a song isn't... Melodic. Melodic, doesn't have harmonies and doesn't isn't singable, alongable, then I'm not as interestable in that songable. Right. And I also like to rhymeable. Yes. So let's listen to Ruby's. From the album Destroyer's Rubies mm-hmm. from 2006. And also, I think this is their best album as well. Yes, I agree. So let's uh, listen to this song, everyone. I, I apologize right now, but it is uh, nine minutes long. But I think you're going to enjoy it. And let me just say before it starts mm-hmm. that I want everyone out there to listen to how this song goes. Because I think it's really fascinating how Behar put it together. Because it starts as like a full band sound. And then it slowly devolves from there into... From full band to just Behar on guitar. And then he just starts, instead of singing the words, he just starts to sing, like to kind of vocalize to it. And then the guitar almost just becomes strummed without any chords, just sort of moving his hands. It's just weird how to describe it, but he's just sort of moving his, he's doing like bar chords, but they're not like real chords. He's just kind of blocking on the guitar with his hands and sort of moving his his fingers up and down the the neck Hmm. to kind of emulate chords. And then it just goes to it goes from there to nothing to silence and all you hear then is just him putting down the guitar and getting out of the, getting off his stool as the song ends mm-hmm. and this is an interesting like go from complexity of the music down to the silence yeah uh and let's listen to that song now everyone and let's all enjoy it for once dueling cyclones jackknives they got eyes for your wife and the blood that lives in her Towards infinity, trust me, I had my reasons. Had a dress for every season, it was worth it. Pulled into town, relatively free of hassle. I secured a room at the castle, it paid for itself. Checked out my surroundings, headed down to Thornton Park. Find your way, discover that things are dark. Shadowy figures babbling on about. Typical bullshit, I wave by to them in a modern way and increase my stay at the dock of the <laughs> Quiet Ruby, someone's coming. Approach with stealth, so it's just your precious American underground And it is born of wealth with not a writer in the locks Sapphire's vibe, 
for your attention Cheap dancers, they mean well in their way But priest says please uh, Can't stand my knees And uh, can't bear her raven tresses Caught up in a breeze like that Said as she lit the fuse I wanted you, I wanted your blues Your blues All good things must come to Just go on forever Isn't that what I just said? It is now and it is never It is now and it is never It is now and it is never It is now and it is never
been known to appreciate the elegance of an empty room. Look, I made you this broom, a predicate warning to the sun. This night advances on. Dim and frightful waste. Now come on, honey, let's go outside. You disrupt the world's disorder just by virtue of your grace. You know, I didn't want to go, but leave I must, as gratifying as this dust was. This number So that was uh, Rubies from Destroys Rubies, Mary. Mm-hmm. I don't yes. think I have to ask you too too much how you think of this song, but I imagine that you like this song. I do like the song. It's good. It's very good. I think I personally would not put it on a mixtape. Oh, really? Because it's long. Yeah. But I also really like the song. I cannot fault you for putting it on. Well, I feel like because it's almost sweet-like in its approach, that it's in kind of sections, mm-hmm. that it works because you're not just, it's not the same all the way through. Right. Right. So it, you do have that going for it. But yes, I just I love it so much that I just wanted someone to hear it. Someone other than me to hear it. Other than me and you. Other than my immediate family who have been had this music foisted on them throughout their lives. True. I, very, <laughs> very true. Not a lie. Not a lie. This father did not lis- did not grow up in the car listening to children's music when these kids were ch- children. True. We did not listen to... Uh, banana boat? No, ba- banana phone. <laughs> banana phone. <laughs> banana, or baby banana. beluga or whatever. Yeah. Valdi, Valdi. Oh, um, what's the guy's name? I don't even know. I don't even know. I don't even know the name of children's music. Fred Penner or any of those people. We didn't listen to any yeah. of that kind of. I we listened to that in Grandma's car. Yeah, that's fine. You can, if Grandma wants to suffer with that nonsense, <laughs> she can do so. What's that guy's name? Raffi. Raffi, that's right. Sorry, Raffi. Baby Valdi. Blugi. 
Vivaldi. I said Valdi. Valley. Vivaldi. We're not one of those families listening to Vivaldi in the car. It's true. We weren't. We weren't. Yeah. You're listening to. I don't care for that 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 period of classical music very much. You're listening to um to uh the Holy Modal Rounders. Yeah. Michael Hurley. Yeah. Cloud tones. Yeah. Good music. Garbage. But um, Destroyer is Dan Behar, and Dan Behar is Destroyer. Yes. There's no other way around it. There's, there's been no other constant in this group but Dan Behar. And he, his particular vision of the group is what makes Destroyer Destroyer. Now, I work with a guy who lived in Vancouver for a long time and knew a lot of people that we played, like he was friends with, um, with, friends with um, AC Newman, knew Nico Case, knew Dan Behar. But knew Dan Behar as a guy who babysat for someone else. Oh, okay. Who was busy and didn't have time to look after the kids, and Dan Behar didn't work, so he right. did, he would babysit for this person. And he was kind of a gopher for uh, the Drippy Town News, which was kind of a, a local uh, alternative newspaper that was published for a couple of years here in town. And so he, you know, he did, you know, he was like kind of a nobody at one point in Vancouver. Now he's a real somebody. He's someone who has a really, yeah. really ex- uh, successful indie band. You know, in successful in indie terms, but that's that's a success if you grew up in Vancouver babysitting for someone because you couldn't find a job. Yeah, you know, to be suddenly you're you're out there as like this individual, very individual person who you know every album you do is slightly different than the last one because each album reflects your changing taste in music. You know, so you go from like the the Bowieisms of Street Hawk, Colon, a, a seduction, a, a seduction, yeah, to this album, which is to me makes me think of like Prefab Sprout. Or Martin Stevenson, the Dainties era British pop. You know, like I can hear a lot of like kind of mid 80s, you know, which called like C86 bands, you'd mm. call them, you know, kind of guitar heavy bands. Like, I, you, I, to me, there's like, there's a real kind of strong element to this, of that to this song. Uh, like I say, he's based in Vancouver and many of his lyrics reference Vancouver, including yes. this song. Uh, his roots were in lo fi folk when he started. He, his first album, his, pra- his first album, we can build a bridge. Some of that kind of—it's practically unlistenable. Everyone, believe me, I have tried to listen to it a couple of times, and it is not a pleasant experience. It brings lo-fi. I think it should be called no-fi because it is not—it is in no way an enjoyable experience. What are you smiling at, Mary? You've sent me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. I was trying to look up the lyrics to uh, Destroyers or two. I've got them here, actually. Oh, okay. So, uh, we'll go, we'll go into them in a second. But I think it's almost like intentionally shambolic and out of tune. Like it doesn't feel like it. it, Well, it feels just like that's what he knew. Hmm. That's where he was at that point in time. And let's just record it. And what the hell? You know what I mean? Like he's just. It's like he doesn't have a filter for himself. It's really interesting. I mean, a lot of a lot of artists, their first album is. You know, it's representative of where you are at that point, right? Which to a is... degree, but there's also like a sense that you need to like get some hours under your belt before you start recording yourself. Yeah. Whereas with Behar, it almost feels like he just picked up a guitar and decided, <laughs> well, I'm going to start writing songs and here's he, what you're going to get. He just picked up a guitar and was like, I'm going to I'm going to record this and then yeah. I'm going to sell it. Yeah. Basically, that's it. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> you know, it does still have his interesting lyrics to it, but in the, melodically, it's just a mess. But for his next album... Well, there's another album that came out before this one, but it was more of a, once again, it was just kind of like a notebook that was released as a, as a, an audio for us to like, you know, wonder at. But for his third album, which is called City of Daughters, he, he got a real producer or a couple of producers in John Collins, who was a bass player in, 
is a bass player in the New Photographers and is a bass player in the Evaporators. He still combines having to play in two bands. Plus, he's a quite a popular producer here in town. He and a guy named David Carswell run a studio which is given, I think, the amusing name JCDC Studios. That's funny. It's a good name, JCDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of introduced a creeping professionalism to, to Dan Behar's new, uh, <laughs> Destroyer. And also, I think working with AC Newman and New Pornographers also made him appreciate more the idea of like taking the time to create arrangements for your songs that bring out the melodic elements to it and kind of like make it a song. Right, like hearing hearing someone produce his songs professionally or like yeah. mix them. Well, arrange sound, them. Or arrange, arrange them yeah. to sound like real songs. Yeah. Made him realize like... Oh. Sort of like what he could do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, uh, yeah. But so by the time you get to Ruby's, which was the band's eighth album, you know, you kind of get the sort of apex. And you kind of get an apex of their 2000 era sound, which uh, would subsequently make a turn into like 80s synth pop, which I am no huge fan of, as I said before. So I'm I'm not that really too fond of like albums like Kaput and Ken. Mm. I bought Ken. And I did not like a single song on it, which I was so, so, mm. so disappointed in a Destroy album that I didn't even like one song. But this album, I love every song on it, but maybe one there's one I'm okay on. But the rest I think is great. And, and which this, one? The one that I'm okay on? Is it Peacock? No, I think it's the one about the something of the priest or something like that. Priest Knees? No, not Priest Knees. Another oh. one. The, the, the last song on it? I can't remember the name of it. Okay. Um, now, we've talked before about the Destroyer drinking game. Yes, we have. And I think that... I think it'd be fun to go through the lyrics for this song and it's going to relate it to the drinking game just a little bit. Because what I like about the drinking game is not that it's a drinking game, but that it points out something that's so fascinating to me about Dan Behar, which is his way of writing lyrics, which is so thematic that it almost creates a little universe of of his own songs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, Sick Priest learns to last forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. One. Yeah. It's okay. It's very, it's very fall-like and it's, it's okay. It doesn't have quite, it doesn't have the false kind of teetering on self-destructiveness that I always enjoy in their music. Mm. Where it almost feels like those songs are always about ready, just about ready to fall apart and some of them they right. never do. Yeah. Um, so this song starts with Dueling Cyclones Jackknife. Mm-hmm. They got eyes for your wife and mm-hmm. the blood that lives in her heart. Now, Dueling Cyclones makes me think of the opening song uh, on your blues, which deals with uh, like tornadoes and stuff like that okay. in its lyrics. So that's like the first reference. So that's a drink because it references a Destroyer song. Because right. often his songs reference himself, like not Davihar, but reference the band Destroyer or the music of Destroyer. Cast myself towards infinity. Trust me, I had my reasons. Had a dress for every season, it was worth it. Pulled into town relatively free of hassle. Secured a room at the castle it paid for itself. Checked out my surroundings. Headed down to Thornton Park, which is a park here in Vancouver, mm-hmm. which is across the street from the old CN station, CN okay. Railroad Station. Uh, but because it's a reference to Vancouver, we take a drink. Take a drink, yeah. For Thornton Park. Find your way. Discover that things are dark. Shadowy, shadowy figures babbling on about typical rural shit. I wave bye to them in a modern way and increase my stay at the Dock of the Bay. Another song reference to Otis Redding's song, Dock of the Bay. Hmm. Quiet Ruby. Up. Oh, Yep. Woman's name, take a drink. Someone's coming. Approach with stealth. Oh, it's just your precious American underground. It is born of wealth, with not a writer in the lot. Reference to the arts. Mm-hmm. Take a drink. Isn't American underground something? Mm, I don't know. Okay. Sapphires vie for your attention. Cheap dancers, they mean well in their way. But priest says, please, I can't stand my knees. So this That's is a, a reference to priest's knees. It's a double meaning. Oh. Because it references priest's knees, the song priest's knees, but also from Dylan's Visions of Johanna. Mm-hmm. Where he says, I can't see, I can't see my knees. Okay. Uh, 
So for I think two that's, drinks. Yeah, for two, two drinks there. <laughs> I can't bear her raven tresses caught up in a breeze like that. Raven tresses to me is an antiquated uh, term. Mm-hmm. Take a drink. Blessed doctor. Oop, reference to a person. Okay. Uh, in a formal way. Okay. Take a drink. Do your worst. Cut me open. Remove this thirst. Hidden but near. A series of visions. Once again, could be a reference to visions of Johanna. I won't repeat them here. I won't repeat them here. Typical me, typical me. Reference to the Smith song. I started something I couldn't finish, which has that line in it. Hmm. I gave my cargo to the sea. Ah, nautical reference. <laughs> Take a drink. I oh, gave... well, if if nautical reference is one, then yeah. the um, being at the dock. Is, oh, yeah, that's also bay, it's a double is, a, is another. Sorry. Well, being at the dock at the bay is probably a Vancouver reference and a nautical reference as well as being. A, a reference s- to Otis Redding. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Good point. Three drinks there. Starting to get blind drunk here. <laughs> I gave the water what it always wanted to be. Look to the West and the imperative there. So anything where he commands you to do something, mm. take a drink. Uh, look, it's no contest, Proud Mary said as she lit the fuse. Woman's name. Woman's name. Song. Oh, s- Proud Mary. Credence, Clear- Credence Clearwater Re- Revival song. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a co- someone saying something in quotation marks. So three drinks there. Okay. I wanted you. I wanted your blues. A reference to the Destroyer album. album your blues. Your blues and the song Your Blues, which the Tooling Cyclones comes from. Yeah, that All... that song that you're referencing is Notorious Lightning, right? Yes. Oh, sorry, that's okay. Notorious Lightning. All good things must come to an end. The bad ones just go on forever. That is a quotation. Take a drink. Okay. Also, all th- good things must come to an end is in a way. All Things Must Pass, the Alt George Harrison song mm. reference. I think you can take a drink for that if you want. Isn't that what I just said? It is now and it is never. That is said four times. Don't worry about her. She's been known to appreciate the elegance of an empty room. That is a put down. Take mm. a drink. Okay. Look, I made you this room. A predicate warning to the sun. A reference to another song on this album where he talks about the sun. Which song? Um, is it... Uh, I can't, sorry, I can't think of the title of it right now. But there's a song in there that talks about the uh, sail, the the tall the sails, tall sails, like the clouds of sailing ships blocking the sun. Do you remember that song? In here? Is it European oil? Not European oil, no. It's the one that I think it's the one that says um, talks about uh, he he was a poo something painter and was it watercolors into the ocean? No. Anyway, I think okay. Along. Okay. Oh, painter in your pocket. Painter in your pocket. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. yeah. <clears throat> uh, this night advances on a reference to the album. The, this, this night. night. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Another another destroyer album there. Mm-hmm. The sketchy crowd shows me drawings. They're all right. An alternately dim and frightful waste. A reference to the arts. Take a drink. Mm-hmm. Come on now, honey. Imperative. Imperative. Also woman. Okay. Let's go outside. You disrupt the world's disorder just by virtue of your grace, you know. I didn't want to go, but leave I must, as gratifying as this dust was. Please don't wake me from this, my golden slumber. Beatles reference to the song Golden Slumbers. I am proud to be part of this number. There you go. I always love the destroyer drinking game. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun and it's, I don't know, there's something there's something charming to me about, and not at all lazy. I don't think it's a lazy thing at all. I think it's a really charming... Um, it's like he creates this own little universe yeah. for himself. It's kind of like um, mm-hmm. kind of like fantasy writer world building. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a homemade songwriting. Yeah, it's yeah where it's like thing. he has like all these things that he's referencing, you know? Yeah. He references all these different songs and he's referencing Vancouver, but he does it all... He's also, he's not referencing songs by, like, popular songs by, like, saying their titles. Yeah. He's referencing popular, or, like, semi-popular songs by popular bands by saying, like, uh, a line that someone could recognize as being a line from that song if they know that song really well. Yeah, yeah. And if they know that band really well. Yeah. Right? Like, he's not saying, like, um, 
he's not saying like strawberry fields forever <laughs> wink you know like <laughs> yeah. yeah you know it's incorporated into the song yeah. but at the same time it's also a pointer back to the past and then if you're really curious you will read about these songs you'll read you know you'll read like the destroyer lyrics wiki or whatever yeah and it'll it'll give you these references mm -hmm. which i should have looked at before i went through this song mm. but anyway that's not is that a real thing i don't know but you know there's something there's probably ways that you can find out like what are in these uh destroyer lyrics if you're a big fan and you're going to learn about ccr you're going to learn about dock of the bay you're going to learn about the beatles golden slumbers you know it's just a way of spreading you know spreading on the knowledge of these songs you know that have been are important to him and to pass them on to to a to a, a younger generation of listeners who are listening to him who may not have that same connection that he does to these songs. You know, just the same way that when I was growing up, I would read interviews with musicians or I would read interviews with authors because I wanted to know what they like to read because that would, you know, point me or listen to in mus musical terms because then that would, you know, give me other things to listen to, like point me on, on to other things that would be interesting. All right, so before we say goodbye to everyone... Yes. I want to talk about a mixtape that was sent in to us. Oh. We've had a lot of time in the last couple of shows to do this. I didn't get to hear it. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that, that was on our comments board. Oh. And it was there as a link on Spotify. For what song? Uh, or what, uh, what um, playlist? So this I mean, is, what episode? This was in episode 22, I believe. That, uh, oh, okay. And, or 23, 22, 23. And uh, Chris Roberts, listener, sent in a mixtape for us and gave us a Spotify playlist oh. for us to... And I thought that you would have done that because you obviously listen to Spotify. You're a young person. I don't have Spotify. Oh, you don't have Spotify? Duncan has Spotify. I don't, I don't have Spotify either. Okay. Um, but I do, ha I do have Spotify. I'm signed into Spotify because I wanted to listen to a, a Christmas playlist one time that someone posted on Twitter. And so the only way I could do that was by signing into Spotify. Okay, yeah. And even though I think Spotify is the devil, yeah. I still signed into it so I could listen to this person's playlist. And so I was able to listen to Chris's playlist, hmm. but for two songs, Chris. There are two songs that were grayed out that are not available for us to listen to here in Canada. One of them I was able to find on YouTube, but the other one I could not. Hmm. So I just want to say to Chris, thank you very much for taking the time to put together a playlist for me to listen to and for other listeners who cared to click on that link. And if you are interested... Um, I'm pretty sure it's episode 23 that this is from. So if you go back to episode 23. I think you're right. I'm pretty sure it is 23. Because I think I did see it. Okay. Okay. And 23, 20, one of those comment. ones. Anyway, it's there. It's in the past. You can find it if you want. And uh, and I'll I'll relink it into this. Uh, I'll relink it onto this yeah. uh, uh, show's thing as well. So you can find it there. And you can click on it and you can listen to Chris's choices as well, which I think were almost all entirely really uh, enjoyable. So I'll read his... Uh, I'll read his message. It says, hello, Dave and Mary and fellowing listening partygoers. Fellowing? Did I say fellowing? Yes. I got mixed up with listening. Sorry. And fellow listening partygoers. I thought I'd take up Dave's invitation to put together my own mixtape. So here it is in Spotify playlist form that I hope you can access okay. And then he left a link for that. There's no overarching theme here. It's just a selection of songs I love put together in a sequence that hopefully flows nicely. I hope folk enjoy them as much as I do. But if you don't, that's cool too. He says, if you want a bit more info behind these choices, here's a track list with some notes, which I always love when you guys do this. So thank you, Chris. Uh, the first one is a song by Michael Hurst called Popsicle Parade. And Chris says, loved this silly tune ever since hearing it on an NPR All Songs Considered podcast some years ago. It's from his album, Song, Song, I think songs, but anyway, songs for ice cream trucks and serves here as a kind of fanfare for what follows. If I ever write a sitcom, this will be the theme music. I like your brave thoughts, Chris. And I also like the fact that you have this brave start to your 
to your mixtape with a yeah, kind of a goofy the, the song. novelty song, yeah. you, could, you could say. <laughs> a novelty song, which in a part of the song, when I was listening to it, I was like, wow, this really reminds me of the Swahili hymn, uh, which I can't remember the full lyrics for, but part of it is by woe. And it's like, da-da, by woe, da-da, by woe, do-do-do-do-do. It goes like that. So there's a part of this song that has a little bit of that same hmm <laughs> Uh, and when I was listening to it, I went, oh, that reminds me of that. But uh, obviously, I'm sure the person who Michael Hurst had no, has no knowledge of Swahili hymns that uh, people sing in Anglican churches. But um, the next song is uh, it's called Letter from Perth by the artist Michael Mara. Michael Mara was a kind of Scottish Tom Waits or Randy Newman, a soulful storyteller with a true, unique voice. First example on this list of what nobody is calling Caledonian content. And I'm going to just make the remark here that I'm surprised that Scotland doesn't have its own version of, you know, Canadian content, Caledonian content, you know, to encourage playing of Scottish bands in a country that is in a country that is overwhelmed, which is very small compared Mm -hmm. to its its neighbor. Yes. Quite a bit smaller in terms of population. No, I'm not talking about uh, land mass. But uh, that song, I really like the song a lot. Uh, I found it more Dylan-esque than Newman-esque, but that's me. It's uh, up to you how you uh, take it. But yeah, it's very good. And uh, we have some listeners from Perth, so I, I like that as well. So it's a letter from, I just imagine it being a letter from them. The next song is the charming George Harrison song, Miss Odell, which Chris says, The first single I bought was Give Me Love, bracket, Give Me Peace on Earth, bracket, by George Harrison. This was the B-side. I love it then, and I love it still, especially George's giggling. <laughs> yes, George's laughter during this song is very charming. I'm not too sure what he's laughing at. I don't know if he's laughing at the lyrics or if he's laughing at some antics from his fellow musicians during the recording session or what. And then the fact that they kept this as the the chosen take with the giggling in it is just so great. So Beatle-like to do that. And uh, and it's called Miss Odell. And so I kind of wonder if it is a reference to someone related to Dennis Odell, who was George's business partner, erstwhile business business partner, I should say, because they, they kind of broke up over... Uh, embezzling that uh, Dennis O'Dell hmm. did later on, but Dennis O'Dell was basically the person who ran handmade pictures for George Harrison uh, when he was a movie mogul for a time of his career. I did not know he was a movie mogul for Yeah, time. George Harrison. Well, what happened was the Monty Python were making a movie called Life of Brian, yes. which is a movie that parodies, in part, religion uh, and has an element of Christ's life in it, sort of a paralleled with the life of Brian. And when the original com- company that was producing it realized what it was about. And I believe that might have been EMI. When they realized what this movie was going to be, mm-hmm. they pulled out. Mm-hmm. They took away their funding. And right. so Money Python was left in the lurch. And George Harrison said, well, I would really like to see this movie. I will give you the money to make this movie. And so he mortgaged his house, Friar Park, which was this enormous, beautiful manor park that he had bought uh, with his with his money in the early 70s, which he loved dearly, which he had spent, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds, if not millions of pounds, yeah. refurbishing and restoring oh, wow. into its former greatness. Cool. And he mortgaged it and could have lost it if it had been a disaster for mm. him, for Monty Python and the Holy Grail, or uh, Life of Brian. But luckily, Life of Brian was a cause celeb because it was this sort of uh, agnostic film that came out poking fun at religion and got, you know, all the uptighties really uptight. And, <laughs> and you know, everyone flocked to see this. What was getting everyone so upset? And it was, I remember going with my friend, we had to... Uh, get some teen, you know older people to sign us in because we were too young to see it so we had, we had they had to agree that they were our guardians and that, that they would look after us love it why what do you love i just like that 
I just like that you would go up to people and be like, hey, can you like help us get into this movie where we're too young to see? And that people would just be like, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's, okay. It's, the, it's still the 70s in the early 80s, dear. Yeah. No, I just like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just look for a couple with long hair. And then they'll, <laughs> they're awesome. So, yeah. So, and then because that film was a big success, George Harrison then went on to, to fund uh, several great British films, including... Uh, the Long Good Friday, which is a great film, and uh, Private Function, which is another great film. The Missionary, which I love, which is a Michael Palin film. Uh, yeah, eventually it came apart, partly through misplaced ambition. Uh, instead of being like a kind of a quirky, small production company, uh, they decided to try to become a big production company and did a real flop called Shanghai Surprise with Madonna and Sean Penn in it when they were married. They were doing their volatile one-month marriage. And wow. uh, oops, yeah, and just yeah, it kind of it kind of fell apart on that on that. But when when it was working and when it was doing like what it was supposed to, it did really come up with some great stuff. It's just too bad it didn't. Uh, I think Mona Lisa as well was another one handmade film. Like yeah, like kind of the real burgeoning of of that kind of eighties independent cinema was was handmade had a big part of that to play, and that was George Harrison. Cool. But anyway, that's a long way of saying that this song was also very good. <laughs> oh right, I forgot we were talking about a song. <laughs> I think yeah, I don't think uh i think the song give me peace on earth was from extra texture is that right or is it from living in the material world chris you tell me if i'm right or wrong i'm just doing that from the top of my head i'm dumb as i said before i don't know everything there's a difference between between being dumb yeah and not knowing everything exactly you are not expected to be an encyclopedia well my parents should have not given me that middle name then david encyclopedia Dedrick. yes all right the next song is uh <clears throat> by a group called tamacrest and the song is called Tinant and Chatma, and then uh, Chris says about it. There are several great bands that have come out of Mali. I could have easily gone with Tinariwen, who share Timicrest's Tauric heritage, and are also wonderful. But this fantastic groove-laden tune proved irresistible. I love the way the female voices lift the final bars of each verse. And I thought it was very good, but I have a weird criticism of this song, Chris, which was not enough guitar. Which is something I love in African music. Is this when they just throw the guitars in like layers of guitars and this song does i just felt like wasn't like guitar enough for me hmm. but i did like it enough this is not enough guitar uh the next song is Joni mitchell uh the song is called edith and the kingpin and he says one of my very favorite Joni mitchell songs from her brilliant or as he says in his note brilliant did you notice that chris afterwards and he went ah! <laughs> brilliant hissing of summer lawns album and then he says get out of there edith <laughs> which i i just wrote as a little note beside my notes beautiful because it's Joni Mitchell, and all her songs are beautiful. And this yes. is just... So his singing Summer Longs, which was the very first Joni Mitchell album I ever bought, is... Uh, so it's very dear to my heart. Uh, I And I just love... I love, love, love that album. I just love her voice. I love her voice at this period. Like this album and uh, Hajir and stuff like that, when her voice got a little huskier, probably because she smoked like a chimney. Yes, from the age of nine. From the age of nine. <laughs> as we talked about last episode. That's right. She... Uh, yeah, her voice kind of went down an octave or something. So she went from here to here, but it's... But her songs took on this really nice sound with a really deep voice. Really deep. I don't know if it was that deep. I'm Joni Mitchell. I don't think you're... I think you're exaggerating a little bit. <laughs> All I'm right, Joni the Mitchell. <laughs> next song. You are my son. He. I don't think he said that. What did he say? He said, I'm your father. Oh, that's what he said. <laughs> I can't remember lyrics or son. movie lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. You know what? I, I could cut that out and make myself look good or keep it in and look like a dummy. Yeah, because I think... Guess which one I'm going to choose. Mm, 
the one that makes you look like a dummy. Because yeah. I think that the line is famously, Luke, I am your father. Oh, that's right. But I believe it's actually in the film. It's, it's no, I am your father. Ah, no. It could be wrong. As Johnny Mitchell said to Edith, no, I am your father. <laughs> yep. Next song, Warren Zevon. Thank you for playing Warren Zevon. See, I can't put Warren Zevon on my mixtapes. Because? Everyone knows who he is. I'm not, I'm not giving anyone something new. People are going to go, oh, Werewolves of London. Wow. I don't know who Warren Zevon is. He did Werewolves of London. Don't know that song. Uh, ooh, Werewolves of London. Oh, okay. I know that. Yes. Uh, but this song is not Werewolves of London. This song is uh, the great song, My Shit's Fucked Up. And uh, Chris says, humor so dry, it's parched, matched to a beautifully restrained arrangement. It's a master. It's amazing that it was written well before Zevon was diagnosed with inoperable cancer. And it's true, although one feels that he knew his mortality. Hmm. His song, I'll Sleep When I'm Dead, also kind of is that sort of foretelling song. Right. That sort of also plays with his imminent demise, which, you know, when you're in the midst of like drug addiction, uh, imminent demise is very, very, very near to you. So I think his songs kind of reference a lot of that sort of thing. But my one comment beside it is it's a masterpiece. The song is a masterpiece. Warren Zevon had a hard time writing a bad song. And uh, this is just one more great song from Warren Zevon, who I have a lot of time for. So thank you, Chris, for putting that on there. This song is by Mackenzie, and it's called Sublane uh, Gim- Gimrad. Um, Akiad Piar, just my that. So uh, I do not know how to pronounce this either. Yeah. But I do know that B-H yeah. in uh, Gaelic okay. is pronounced V. Oh, so Sublane. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, it's kind of like trying to read Welsh. Yeah. Forget well, about it. Yeah. It's like how the name, because the name Siobhan. Siobhan? S-I-O-B-H-A-N. Yeah. I've always so, said Siobhan, but, but I should say Siobhan. Siobhan. Interesting. Yeah. B-H pronounced hmm. V. But here's the problem with this song, Mary. Mm-hmm. This song is unavailable Ooh, in Canada. Unfortunate. So I, and I couldn't find it on YouTube. I, I searched for it on YouTube, which admittedly was hard because I could not effing spell the words very well because I couldn't remember them. I would like look at them. Why don't... Then I would go to my... Dad? And I couldn't select it in... I couldn't copy and paste it because oh. it wouldn't allow me to select. It was grayed out. So I couldn't copy and paste it either. Maybe. Oh, but you can copy and paste it from this comment on... Oh, I guess I could have pasted it from there. Oh, you're right. Dang. Anyway. But Chris says it has wonderful Gaelic harmonies by three sisters from the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides. Elide, Fiona, and Gillian Mackenzie. And I'm sorry that I didn't listen to Chris, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Mary's advice and um, copy and paste that into that whole thing into YouTube. And I'm, I'm, I think I'll probably find it that way. So I'm sorry I, I didn't hear it, but I, it sounds really good. And I do love, uh, I love that kind of singing. Um, here in Vancouver, we have a huge um, Scottish uh, contingent that moved into this area in, yes. in the, in the uh, 50s and 60s. And Lisa's mum, my wife's mum, was part of that. She was from the Orkney Islands, which despite what people in Scotland say, the Orkney Islands are part of Scotland. And uh, she... Uh, she knew she worked as a nurse and made friends with another lady who was from Scotland. And so these people were very Scottish though. They're, they're, they're Highland Scots, you know, who spoke Gaelic and, and they're a part of the uh, Scottish society here in Vancouver, which had built it like their own center, you know, where they learned Gaelic and they did, they had their Kayleys and stuff like that. And when the girls were young, we would often go to the, the Kayleys where we would dance the dashing gay sergeant and strip the willow and those sort of things. Mary, remember doing that? I do. That was, a lot I do. Of, that was a lot of fun. And But also part of the night's entertainment was people would go up on stage and sing uh, songs, Gaelic songs as well. And I always loved those songs. So it is a, though it's not part of my tradition, 
I do really enjoy that music. And so I'm sorry that I could not hear it. But let's go on to the next song. I will try to hear it though, Chris. I'm going to do that copy and paste thing that Mary suggested into YouTube, and I'm sure it'll come up. This is a... Uh, no, it doesn't come up either? Darn. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I, I was looking into why it's grayed out, and it's apparently just a licensing thing. So it, it's some other company here in Canada has licensed Mackenzie for whatever reason, and so Spotify can't have a license. Either it's not necessarily Canada, it might be North America. But anyway, so that's why it's not... Uh, not why it's grayed out and not available to me. Anyhow, let's move on to Neil Finn and his song, She Will Have Her Way. And uh, Chris says, how many songs can you identify from the very first drum beat? This one, and like a Rolling Stone, maybe, Finn at his joyous melodic best. Uh, yes, Neil Finn. Oops, sorry, I keep hitting my glasses on the mic now. Neil Finn is great. He's great. I loved, uh, I loved his time in Split Ends. I loved his time in Crowded House. And I love his solo career as well. I'm less of a fan of his brother for some reason. Uh, Tim Finn, I don't know, this, this doesn't do it for me. But Neil Finn, I just think is the best. And, you know, the only thing I blame Neil Finn for is bringing in the whole idea of unplugged, playing unplugged. Because hmm. it, it felt feels to me like when, when Crowded House were doing the rounds here in North America, and they would go into like, like Much Music or MTV or whatever, and they would charmingly play their songs on acoustic guitars. But because they were so great... Their acoustic performances were as good as their album performances. And it was just magical to watch them do that. Unfortunately, it gave everyone the idea that everyone should do that, that that anyone could just do an unplugged thing and play their acoustic guitars and make their songs sound great, which it turns out is not the case. That in most cases, every, everything is really boring when it's done in acoustic ways. So I both applaud them and blame them for the whole unplugged thing. Um, next up, mm-hmm. Judy Sill. I like her. Oh, I love Judy Sill. Is it written with three E's on yours, Mary? If you're looking at the uh, comment thing. Yeah, because you forgot the D. He forgot the D? Or he turned the E into a D? Yeah, he turned the E into, or a D, a D, a D into, D into an, e. an E. So it might be a different person. We might be thinking of Judy Sill, but it's not. he means Jewy Sill. No, he means Judy Sill. You're just being mean. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris. I can't resist tweaking people's noses. Uh, this song is uh, Lopin along through, the, along through the Cosmos. And I... I think Judy Sill is just the, the best. I really do like all her music. I love every song that she's ever done. And I will stand by those words until I die. And this is another one of her great songs that um, is uh, just a real joy to listen to. I love her kind of her own little universe of, of meaning. Like like when I first started listening to her, I thought, oh, this person's a Christian, I guess, because she likes to write about Jesus and she has like these sort of references in her songs. Mm-hmm. Then you listen to her and you go, oh, you realize, oh, no, she's just, she has her own metaphysics that exist right. outside of outside of like a she's, an accepted she's, christian she's more of a mystical person she's a mystic that's right yeah, yeah she's not she's not particularly christian mm-hmm. she's yeah spe- she's very spiritual she's very spiritual she uses christian imagery i think because it's kind of shorthand hmm. to to a to understanding you know and then also when she was in prison she was uh, one of her jobs was to play uh, piano and organ during during the church services oh, okay and so she learned a lot of gospel music doing that and hmm. i think she kind of incorporated that into her playing style as a sh- as a shorthand and so her music does have that element to it but uh, i love that kind of cosmic mysticism of, that she brings to her songs. yeah definitely chris says classic still mystical melodic melancholy slightly bonkers utterly individual ah that's a perfect way to sum it up chris you said it that's what i'll say uh next one bob dylan once again a choice i can't make for my mixtapes because everyone knows who bob dylan is who bob dylan <laughs> uh and it's uh song is is your love in vain which comes from street legal 
and I got to say, that's an album I don't know very well, actually. I don't even, I don't own it. And I, oh, no, I guess I own it in a record. But I don't own it in CD, which is easier, easier for me to listen to. And I don't really know it very well. So, so it was interesting to hear the song because I, I, I wasn't very familiar with it. Uh, the singer's point of view here is completely self-centered, sexist even, but also bracingly honest. I don't know another love song that lays out so boldly just how much commitment lovers need to be prepared to make. Can I make a quick... You I quickly can. want to say something about Judy Sill. Oh, okay, please She say. wasn't actually in prison. No? She was at a reform school. She was in a reform school. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. Okay. She never went to prison. I don't believe so, but she... Not even for when she was a, when she was doing robbery? No, that's... No, because she was... I believe she was... Um, oh, she's still She was age? a minor. She oh, okay. was in high school at the time. Wow. So she was married and uh, or living with a person. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yikes. Yeah. She really rebelled. Yes, she did. Don't rebel that much. It's okay to rebel. Anyone. It's okay to rebel, oh, but within reason. Yes. Don't rebel unreasonably. Yes. It's not good for you. Uh, so Chris says about Bob Dylan's song, Is Your Love in Vain? The singer's point of view... Oh, he, oh no, sorry. I read it. I read it all, didn't I? She did go to jail. Ah. But for... Um, because she was uh, doing like scams. Yeah. Like check forgery. Yeah, yeah. And then she was um, also a sex worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she had narcotics and forgery offenses that sent her to jail. Yeah. But it was in reform school when she was the church organist. Oh, okay. okay. So that's when she was in. It was either during high school or right after graduation. She did a bunch of robberies and got sent to reform school. But then when she was like, hmm. she was married and living in Las Vegas. And then there were heroin addicts. She moved back to California and then blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's go back to this other person we were talking about. Yeah. No, she didn't have a great life. Hence the fact that she was mystical. Yes, and the fact that she died very, very young. And tragically. Yes. Um, so he says, I don't know another love song that lays out so boldly just how much commitment lovers need to be prepared to, be prepared to make. Plus, I find the second verse hilarious. Well, Chris, I, I have to admit to you that I did not catch the second verse because I very rarely listen to lyrics. Which I know is weird because Bob Dylan isn't really known as being like a great melodic writer. That His songs are more about, about uh, words and they're about the the melodies but what i like about bob dylan is the feel of his songs so not necessarily the words or the music but just how his songs kind of paint like a feeling for me you know and so for me a bob dylan song the more nonsensical it is the better you know so i already like the kind of mid-period like mid-60s period where his songs have very little meaning like verbally the meaning is in like the uh feeling they give you as a as a song but anyway it's a good song. It was a good song. I'm not familiar with that album, so I thought it was interesting to listen to. Uh, this is a band called Partner, Mary, and the song is called Comfort Zone. He says, more Canadian content here. A fantastic rock song that celebrates the joys of lazing around and watching crap TV during the daytime. Reminds me of my daughter for some reason. Uh, I just wrote Girl Weezer, because the band reminded me of Weezer, but it's girls singing, so okay. it was a bit... But uh, and I thought it was okay. I didn't uh, think it was the, the greatest thing ever, but it was, it was good. It was good. Um... Yeah, I personally I don't think it I don't think it beats anything that I have on my Canadian mix. Right. But it was good. Here's a really good song though. Mm-hmm. I really like this artist. Mm-hmm. By John Galt. John John Galt, that's right. <laughs> this John Galt, the song is called Atlas Shrugged. Uh this is John The song is called Dagny Taggart. Dagny Taggart. This song is uh by John Grant. It's called Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. It's a very amusing song. It's basically what I just said. Grant Grant has a superb knack for combining humor sadness and drama in both his words and music this is such a great song yes for someone who grew up in a very religious family who was gay i imagine that there's lots of torment in your life hmm. there's lots of unresolved feelings of of worthlessness and despair and hopelessness and un- unworthiness and you have to like work so hard to feel value at who you are 
and it's so awful that that's a reality in people's lives mm -hmm. but it's interest it is interesting to hear someone's experiences sung up boats you know in from that point of view uh and this is a this is from this is a, a good it's a great album and uh I really do like John Grant a lot. Mm. Now, this song has one problem with it, is it doesn't have an, a clarinet and or oboe being played in it, unlike the song that I chose for one of our mixtapes, mm. which came with the oboe. But that's okay. That that was So you're talking about a different John Grant song? I'm talking about a different John not Grant song. Not just a different song. Not, not, not just, just any that song you, at all. You wish that John this, Grant could no, no. play the oboe that's or the right. clarinet. Yeah, yeah. would incorporate that. Yeah, yeah. no, no. There's a, a John Grant song I put in another album... Uh, and has an oboe on it or or clarinet, something like that, and uh, some sort of string instrument, or not string, some sort of um, reed instrument, yeah, wind instrument, or wind instrument if you prefer, sure, and uh, yeah, I don't know, I just feel like if you have the chance to have a clarinet in your song, you should take it, sure, or not. Next song, oh, another band we've played before, mm -hmm. the Roaches. I love the Roaches so much, and this song is also very good from their very their first album, Mister Mister Selleck. Uh, Chris says. One of the standouts from the Roaches sisters' eponymous debut album. I have no idea. Chris, I have to tell you right now that that's not their first album. It's the Roaches. The two sisters, before uh, Susie joined the act, recorded an album together uh, called Nerds. And it's also very good. But anyway, enough of my being a nerd. Back to you. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Nothing. The irony of an album called Nerds and I'm being a nerd? No, just the fact that you're like, oh, I'm so dumb. And then you're like, <laughs> actually... That wasn't the Roach's first album because technically the two of them recorded an album before and it was called this. Yeah. It's a pretty good album. It was uh, produced under the aegis of uh, Paul Simon, who they did, uh, they sang background vocals for, okay. for Kodachrome, like on okay. his uh, Here Comes Ryman Simon album. Right. Not on the song Kodachrome, but on some of the songs on the album. And uh, it might have been on Kodachrome, but anyway, it doesn't matter. And he, uh, and he really liked their singing and so he got them this album deal and they report they did this album it wasn't like a big seller or anything but uh, yeah it was their first album i first saw them mary mm -hmm. on pbs on our local public broadcasting station from seattle called kcts a station i loved very much as a child it also introduced me to einstein on the beach mm. but i saw this little half hour program it was a it was the roaches in concert and they were singing and they were so good. I can't even imagine how good they were live, Mary. To see three women whose voices blended together to make it sound like you were watching a choir sing. Hmm. It's just so amazing, you know. And then their songs were good and they, were, they had senses of humor. Mm -hmm. It was so wonderful. Unfortunately, they were going to come to town at that time. And the show was canceled and I never did get to see them. But I was going to go see them, but they, they didn't make it here. But Chris says about them. One of the standouts from the Roaches Sisters' eponymous debut album. I have no idea what a steam table is. But I sure wouldn't want to have to scrub behind one. Mary, someone who scrubbed behind tables. Mm -hmm. What's a steam table? Uh -huh. No guess? Nope. Not at all? A table that is steam powered and it like chugs around the room. <laughs> powered by steam. That has Jeff uh, Emmerich as an engineer? Yes. Driving it? Yep. Wow. He was not, he did not drive trains, but he did drive steam tables. <laughs> I think a steam table mm -hmm. is used in like laundries. Mm. And it's a table that you would use for pressing suits and stuff like that. So it would steam the suit, like mm -hmm. steam the fabric. So it would take out the wrinkles and then you'd press it. Okay. That makes sense. That's my guess. I think mine makes more sense though. I don't think so. Okay. Next one. I'm just saying it would be yeah. easier to clean behind if it moved around. <laughs> that goes without saying. <laughs> Ar Next one is Arctic Monkeys. Mm -hmm. Do you like the Arctic Monkeys, Mary? I don't really know many songs. but This song is called Crying Lightning. And Chris says, a lot of the attention goes to Alex Turner. And he's a fantastic writer and singer, but a big part of what I love about Arctic Monkeys 
are that they are a proper band with each member contributing to the distinctive overall sound. Mm. That's true. I didn't rate this song much when I first listened to it, but when I was <clears throat> upon further inspection and when I was like not paying attention to the music, which is often how I like to pay, listen to music because that's when music really proves it's metal to me. You know, if it can like pierce my, my, my uh, very... While you're distracted. My, well, you know, my deep daydreams mm-hmm. while I'm working. Yep. Then that's a song. Yeah. That is a song. And that song, like it, it pierced my my deepest daydreams. So that kind of pl- places it high up, high up there. So I was I was impressed because I've never been that impressed by Arctic Monkey songs that I've heard before. But I thought the song was really good. So thank you for introducing me to a Arctic Monkey song I like. The next song, Ian Hunter, Irene Wild. He says he's best known as a rocker, but Hunter has a sentimental side that has produced some beautiful tender ballads. None more moving than this lovely ode to teenage moondreaming. I thought it was okay. I said it's okay. That was my review. That was my entire review of this person who's probably spent months working on that song. Months, if not a year, a year or so on this song. Maybe years. Maybe he had the song in the back of his mind for a long time. Yep. Thought about it every once in a while, wrote yep. down words, worked yep. it out, worked out the music, mm-hmm. got it to where he wanted mm-hmm. it, perfected it over time. Mm-hmm. Spent a couple of months, you know, well, spent some time rehearsing with the band, mm-hmm. recording in the studio, yep. getting all right, mm-hmm. promoting it, mm-hmm. getting it out there for us, touring it, yep. playing it for people until they could hear it. Mm-hmm. And then I said it was okay. Next song, Martin Bennett, Nay Regrets. Nay. Sounds very Scottish. He says, Gone Too Soon, Martin Bennett was a bona fide musical genius. He combined a love of traditional Scott songs and tunes with rave culture and classical music to produce something uniquely his own. Maybe it's my Celtic heritage, but I find his music completely transfixing and uplifting. From his final album, Grit, this is a great example. And I said, NMT. Not my thing. Not my thing, exactly. Sorry. I I just, I cannot dig rave culture. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is that I don't do drugs. And thus, I can, I'm immune to the appeal of people Raves. dancing in a room, an incredibly hot room yeah. with lights flashing mm-hmm. and music playing really loudly. Yep. It goes over me. And yet? And yet? You liked Peanut Duck. I love Peanut Duck. It's awesome. Oh, thank you for reminding me about Peanut Duck. Because I just want to take a brief moment here. I'm going to... I had to put this drawing on the website. And oh, hope... the peanut duck drawing? Yes. That's very good. Yes. That was from Ed Draginski. And Ed, thank you so much for that drawing of peanut duck. Uh, I don't know if I forgot to say thank you last show or if it fell in between these two episodes, but that's so good. It's so good. I And I'll pay you some money. I'll send you some money mm-hmm. because I got to use it for all our promotional material from now on. <laughs> for Sneaky Dragon listening party? Yeah. Yes. Because it's like our mascot now. Peanut Duck yep, is our Peanut mascot. Duck. It's the new Sneaky Dragon. If you haven't seen it, I will, like I say, I'm going to post it on our main page. But it, Dad is going to email it individually to every person I'm who I'm going to email to it show. individually to everyone on Earth. Along with a thing that says, listen, it says, don't be a dummy like Dave. Listen to the listening party. And this has Peanut Duck saying that. Mm. And then there'll be a little thing that says Peanut Duck pointing at Peanut Duck. Yep. People will be like, what is this Peanut Duck? What's going on here? I'd be like, look, can, look it up. Can you make me a peanut duck bumper sticker? Make you a peanut but peanut duck bumper sticker? What yeah. do you want it to say? No, it's just a picture of peanut duck. It's a bumper sticker? Yes. But bumper stickers are rectangular. Peanut duck is not rectangular, Mary. Okay, well then what about like a computer sticker? Yeah? Yes. I could do that. <laughs> nice. I just want a sticker of it, you know? All right. Ed, you may have to do some more work on this peanut duck thing. We might have to go from pencil sketch to something more, more, uh, more elaborate. More, yeah. I'll have to, unless you well, want me to do that, I, I can was, do I that. was going to say, I know someone who's a professional colorist. I am a professional colorist, but I would prefer the person who who uh, conceived it if he wants to do the uh, final links. Is what he's welcome to do so. Otherwise, I'll do them. If you want me to ink it, I'll link it for you, Ed. But uh, and I'm a pretty good inker. But uh, if you want to do it yourself, you're welcome to do so. But thank you so much for that. 
because it's a, it's a it's a marvel. Where did he post it again? Was it on, on Facebook. It was on, on Facebook. Facebook. Yeah, okay, yeah. All right. So the next song is Glenn Tilbrook, and the song is You See Me. And Chris says Tilbrook's solo career has been overshadowed by his work with Squeeze, but he's come up with several gems that deserve to be far better known. This collaboration with Ron Sexsmith, more Canadian content, is just beautiful. I thought it was okay. You know what? My problem with the song was the production of it, not the song. I felt the production was way too contemporary and kind of locked in a certain time period. And Tilbrick's partner, Chris Difford, doesn't have that problem. Like if you listen to his solo albums, they're not of a time. They're they're kind of like a timeless production. The drums don't sound locked in a particular time period. And I you know, and I really have a I really have a problem with that for whatever reason. And this this uh this song kind of had that thing going going against it. I love Glenn Tilbrook. I remember going to see Squeeze live in the in the eighties, um, late eighties, I guess, during their Frank tour, and when Jules Holland was with them, it was kind of like the whole band back together. And I was like, cool, I got to see these guys. And they came to Vancouver and played, and I was amazed to discover that Glenn Tilbrook sang and played lead guitar, which is very rare rare in a group for the for the guitarist to not just be like the rhythm guitarist but also to play lead guitar it's crazy but he would do like these complicated lead parts while singing it was amazing like this is incredible like it's hard to do like to split your mind like that it's crazy but it's good all right paul mccartney now see here's another example of a guy i can't put on a i love paul mccartney i would love to put junior's farm on a mixtape maybe people maybe that is sort of obscure junior's farm love peanut duck maybe maybe that is obscure i don't know but it feels like if I put Paul McCartney on a mixtape, people would be like, yeah, Dave, thanks for telling me something that I didn't know. Paul McCartney, whoop-dee-ding-dong. <laughs> so I never have put uh, I never have put him on. But Even Jet? Even Jet, which is... Na, 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 everyone na, na, knows Jet, though, Mary. Na, 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 na. That was a popular Jet. song. This song, though, is Old Siam, Sir, which comes from the Back to the Egg, which is a... Which, you know, I can, let's props to Chris from finding a good song on Back to the Egg. Because that song is, that album is okay. But, uh, and this song is so-so as well to me. Chris says, a classic McCartney rocker from the Wings era, full of melodic and rhythmic hooks, an uncharacteristic twin guitar section, Paul doing his Little Richard vocal, and a lyric that, that's more than slightly daft. A lovable throwaway from a masterful musician. It was good. It was okay. It's Paul McCartney. Yep. Reliable, good old reliable Paul McCartney. <laughs> Next song is Aberfeldy, called Love is an Arrow. Two and a half minutes of pop perfection from Edinburgh's Riley Briggs and his band Aberfeldy. To record their brilliant debut album, Young Forever, the musicians clustered around a single microphone in an Edinburgh flat, and the sound is amazing. The lines, love is a verb and a noun as well, find it in the dictionary under L, make me smile every time. And my note about this song is, love it. I just love this song. It's just like that classic Scottish pop song. Classic Scottish pop song sound that uh, really rings my bells. So yes, that was very good. Very good. Um, then we have Amadou and Maryam, and the song is called Politic Amanyi. And he says, so many great tunes packed into one song, along with a heartfelt message. From the album Dimanche Abak- Bamako, produced by Sunday. Uh, sorry, produced by Sunday. I started thinking Dimanche. It's, Dimanche is Sunday, right? It is, yes. So I was thinking, oh, it's Sunday in Bamako. Okay. But produced by Manu, Sh- uh, Manu Shao and an absolute classic. You know Manu Shao, right, dear? No. He did that song, uh, what's it called? I don't know, I don't know what. Uh, that song is like, well, I'll remember it later. All right, we're back. I played Mary a song by Manu Shao called Megustus too, but she didn't remember it. So so anyway, but well, she has heard it. But it was on a mixtape when she was little. But too little to remember, apparently. Anyway, I do like Manu Shao. This song I thought was, it was okay. 
didn't didn't ring any bells for me. The, the, these last, the next two songs weren't my thing. This song was okay. And the next song is uh, by Franco Battiato <coughs> called L'Animale. And he says, Battiato is a superstar in Italy and Spain where his songs have had chart and critical success for over 40 years now. 40 years for one song in the chart. That's amazing. Although I love his experimental, playful side, the lush, lushly romantic L'Animale is an atypical favorite. Chris, I wish you... Oh, damn my eye glasses. <coughs> Chris, I wish you'd chosen a uh, a song that was more playful and experimental because this very epic, romantic, lush ballad, um, I don't know. I find that when you listen to songs in other languages, if they're not, if they're not like playful and experimental, then they kind of don't really work for you because, or for me anyway, because there's a component missing from them. Like, like lush ballads don't really have like, like aren't really hugely melodic. And so then you end up with, you're just listening to kind of like a a ballad, but you don't understand what they're saying, you know? And it's just kind of, I don't know, it doesn't really work for me. So it's not it's not on you, it's on me, I guess, but you should have chosen an <laughs> experimental playful one. That would be interesting to hear that rather than uh, a lushly romantic song from Franco Battiato, the great Italian, Italian singer. I don't know who he is. I said he's great. Okay, so um, the final song is great. This is Teenage Fan Club, and it's Neil Young. And Chris is about it. Well, I went back and forth on and a lot Young of... Young is spelled J-U-N-G, like the... Um, yes, yeah, sorry, that's like right. Like the, uh, the psychologist. The psychologist, yes. Whose name was Carl Young? Yes, Carl with a K. Yeah, Carl with a K Young. That's how he introduced himself. I'm Carl with a K Young. Well, I went back and forth on a lot of my selections for this list. Just like Carl Newman says, I'm Carl with a C Newman. So, yeah, it's Carl... So Carl with a K and Young with a J. Yeah. That's how he introduces himself. Yeah, that's right. Well, I went back and forth on a lot of my selections for this list. There was never any doubt as to which song would round things off. Ah, the mighty fannies. Bell Shill's finest. They're, quote, their bracket, big star faded as they aged, but the run of albums they had through the 1990s has earned them a place in my heart and on my phone forever. It is a very good song, and I do like the uh, album Grand Prix. I believe that's the album it comes from, if my memory serves me right. Sometimes it doesn't. Sorry. And it's not because I'm dumb. It's just because I'm not an encyclopedia. Yes. Everyone. Let's, Thank you, let's Dad. Be, let's be realistic about expectations on me. Quit piling these expectations that I know everything. Yes. I don't. Yes. I think I do. He's just a person, people. But I don't. But, uh, you know what? On their, their recent album here, I think that's their last album that came out, actually, is uh, there's a song in there that's fantastic as well. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head right now, and I'm not going to tell you anyway because I I, I have it earmarked for a future um, mixtape. So, um, but it's good. So they haven't given up the ghost yet, Chris. Don't give up on the fannies, as you call them. Although I always understood that fanny is not a polite term in British society. Hmm. So I don't know. Is Chris British? Chris is from, you know where he's from, dear? He lives near Inverness. Oh, really? Yeah, which is huh. where your Aunt Jean and Uncle Norman lived when we went and visited yes. them. They lived in Bewley. Hmm. which is also very near Inverness. And I remember one time Chris wrote with great pleasure because I described that area as having a Loch Ness-based economy <laughs> or a Loch Ness monster-based economy. And mm-hmm. he wrote and said, yes, you are so right. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's what uh, we, how we won Chris's heart is my, my knowing that area so well. But Bewley, it's a beautiful area and has some wonderful little places there. Do you remember going to that shop in Bewley that like it's like a, yes. a fabric store? Yes. It's like... It's like tartan. You can get your tartan kilts there, but yeah. also tweed suits made and yep. stuff. And I heard that's where like the the royal family go to get their mm-hmm. get their I guess they get their like more um sort of rural costumes mm-hmm. made there, so they can didn't, walk around bird hunting and stuff. Didn't in their we tweeds. like drive there and park, but then it was closed? 
Might have, but we have visited it as okay. well. Because I, I know I've been there when, when Uncle Gene and Aunt Norman lived in Bewley. They moved away uh, a while after we visited them. But when they lived there, we, we did walk down from where they lived to, into the town and, and went to that store because I was so fascinated by it. Just the fact that they had like bolts of tweed and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. that they would like pull out and measure and like, dr- <laughs> you know, draw on and do all that, yeah. like tailoring stuff, you know, it's just which is mystical to me. Like the idea that you can like draw like the shape of a suit on a fa- on fabric and then you can make <laughs> it into an actual suit that people wear. What? How does that work? <laughs> you take your one dimensional drawing and make it into two, two dimensional objects. It's like, um, it's like Harold in his purple crayon. Yeah. Yeah. But not magic. It really happens yeah. right in front of you. It's yeah. crazy. But yeah, anyway, it's really cool there. And then that store was really cool. I don't know if it's still there, but it's it's great. It was there in 2012. That's true. It was. It was. It was there in 2012 when we visited. When we visited England. All right. Well, Chris, thank you. That was the end of Chris's thing, as he said. That, uh, that Teenage Fan Club song capped it marvelously. And everyone, that was pretty good on Chris's part. Because usually if I like four songs on a, on a mix... I consider that a successful mix. And so mm-hmm. you, you got higher than that, Chris. So very nice. As if you read my mind in some cases. And thank you for taking the trouble to put together that mixtape. We appreciate it. And if anyone wants to hear it, like I said, I will put the, I will relink it on this week's, uh, this bi-week's episode of Listening Party. You'll find it there as well as a drawing by listener Ed Draginski of the fabulous Peanut Duck. So good. Uh, Mary pulled up the picture to show me a little, a little while ago, and it's yes, great. Yes, it's very good. So um, we really appreciate that. And uh, I'll let Mary sign off this week. Oh, okay. Do you want me to do all the... The blah, blah? The blah, blah? Please do the blah, blah, Mary. Okay. If you want to reach out to us, you can do it on our website. I just want to say, if you if you want to reach out, we'll be there. On our website, which is sneakydragon.com. Yeah. Or, uh, so we've got message boards or forum or whatever on each episode. We do have a message board. You can comment and stuff. You can go back to previous episodes and comment. You can. Um, you can talk to us or follow us on Twitter at, at Sneaky Dragon. No, at, no, Sneaky underscore Dragon. Dragon. Yeah. Uh, or dad at, at Dave Dedrick. That's another option. You can also email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Cool. Or follow us on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon. That's true. Did you mention our email address? I did. I just said it. Sneaky D at sneakydragon.com. I was daydreaming. Okay. I was just thinking, oh, I don't post enough on Twitter. <clears throat> I'm a failure. I'm You're... a social media failure. Everyone. That's untrue. You should link them. Link what? You should link the Facebook and the Twitter so that they post. When you post on one, it gets posted on the other. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess I could do that. Yeah. You can do it easily through Hootsuite because they have free accounts. Mm. Or like You can do it for free. Yeah. Because they have like paid business ones or you can do like a free one. Okay. Oh, look into that. Thank I think you your for... free personal one, you can do up to three different things. Okay. So you can post on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. But what would you post on it? Yeah. You probably would. Hmm. So you really just need the two. Yeah. Anyway. Interesting. I can I can post on three. I can post on Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook, and mm-hmm. Pornhub. Yep. That would work. Yep. One of those has the highest viewership. We won't tell you which, but I'm sure you can guess. <laughs> Uh, people think it's something else. Um, uh, are we done this episode? We are done this episode, Mary. Okay. Well, uh, we'll see you listeners and your, you, I guess we won't see you. You will hear us in two weeks. Yes. And, um, And hopefully we'll hear from you in the meantime. Yeah. We look forward to you hearing us again. In the bye week. Yeah. In in, in a fortnight. You and your antiquated phrases. Phrases when I've just come Take a drink. Take a drink? Destroyer. Antiquated phrases. <laughs> I'm going to go take a drink now, everyone. Okay. All right. Well, while Dad does that, um, see ya. That's it. Bye.